Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. Recorded live. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. about 
people care about what other people think, worry about what they say. Little, little gossip coming from a loose lip of run my perfect day. Saying blah, 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 just a jack and their dog got to let it roll up and not back. I don't give a darn what other people think. What do you think about that? Say I don't give a damn what other people think. What do you think about that? Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. Yes, it is the Frank Report. You probably heard that song and wondered, what, who's, what, huh? Well, that's the new theme for at least October. And, uh, well, if you wonder if I care what you think about it, listen to the theme again. (laughs) I like it. So, we're going to do that for a while. Anyhow, people were worried, I think, that I was going to have some kind of rockabilly uh, theme or something. Uh, But that's pretty country to me. But, hey, you know, I like country music. Not all country music. I don't like all blues music. But anyway, enough about that. It's Thursday, October 1st, 2015, about eight minutes after 8 p.m., 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980. You know what? You're free to call in. Tell me what you think about the new theme, whether you like it or you don't like it. That's yeah, really for the benefit of the listeners. But you can do that. You can also go to the chat room, which is located at theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, and you can uh, go in there, voice your opinions, make comments, or, hey, just uh, you know, talk about what you want to talk about with, with folks in there. It's, you know, it's nice if you try to follow along with the show a little bit. But, you know, I recognize, see, that's the beauty of radio. And I know video's taken over the world. And, you know, everybody loves video because, I don't know, people are too stupid to read anymore. you got to watch pictures, you know. Moving people, look, look, wait, shiny thing. Anyhow, the nice thing about radio is you can listen to radio and still do other things. Okay? You know, that's that's the thing about radio. Video, not so much. You know, you got to sit and watch it and listen to it. And, geez, you can't really get a lot else done when you're doing that. Uh-oh. You think maybe that could be a plan? That's why they want us all watching videos all day long? Is so we can't get nothing else done? Hmm... Anyhow, you can also instant message me, straight to me, direct, well, through the NSA, but pretty much direct, Yahoo Instant Messenger, AVRN Talk is the uh, screen name, I guess, I'm trying to remember what they call it, it's a screen name, 
And uh, that comes straight to me, not through the chat room or, you know, you don't go on the air or anything like that. So, all right, let's uh, let's catch you up on what's going on with the Oregon shooting. Hmm? As some of you may or may not know, even the president has talked about it. Ooh, well, aren't we special? But at a community college up in Roseburg, Douglas County, Oregon, that's like two counties up from here. Uh, there's Josephine, and I think there's Douglas. And Douglas has Roseburg, which Roseburg really is kind of the uh, demarcation point of where Southern Oregon, you know, or right around Roseburg, maybe a little north of Roseburg, but it's pretty much the demarcation between, you know, Southern Oregon, right? And it's also on the west side over here, the demarcation of uh, communists versus non-communists. Because north of there, you're starting to get into commie country. And I'm sorry if you're not a commie and you live up that way. It's just that that's that's where you live. That's how it is. And uh, they had a shooting today. A white guy from Portland, Oregon, Commieville, has some of the most restrictive gun Rules in Oregon. Okay. Well, why wouldn't it? It's a commie city. They got to have gun rules. And he's from Portland, and they are completely communist up that way. That's why what I'm going to tell you here in a little bit shouldn't surprise you. Because when you look at this guy's picture, it's like, hey, here's a white bread, you know, a completely white kid, right? Oh, geez, certainly no Muslim terrorist, I don't think. Anyhow, so uh, here's what we got going on so far. Because, uh, you know, the story is he went in and shot a bunch of people. I think they, uh, the last number I looked at was 13 dead, 20 more wounded. Um. I, I haven't seen any report on what kind of gun he had or anything, because, of course, he's been killed. See, you know, he's been killed. And uh, so there there you have it. Uh, another shooting where, oh, well, the gunman's dead. Whether he killed himself or the cops killed him, either way, you know, he's dead. And uh, you would think the cops these days would say, you know, Hey, let's get one of these guys alive so we can, you know, question him and see, what are, What were you thinking? You know, like, let's shoot his legs or something. But apparently they're not taught how to do that anywhere ever because it's, uh, no, shoot to kill. Uh, we don't need any witnesses to this because, uh, you know, if he's not around to mess up our story, then we can make up any story we want. Well... His name actually was uh, Samuel Hyde. He was 20 years old, and he lived in Portland, Oregon. Okay, so there you go. That's who he was. Now, this says here, the gunman who opened fire at an Oregon community college was forcing people to stand up and state their religion before he began blasting away at them, survivors said Thursday. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. Uh, It is the... The headline story on Drudge right now, go get it, go save it to your actual hard drive.
because I guarantee you this narrative from the survivors is going to be buried quickly. You'll see why pretty quickly. A woman who claimed to have a grandmother inside a writing class in Snyder Hall, where a portion of the massacre unfolded, described the scene in a tweet. Quote, The shooter was lining people up and asking if they were Christian, she wrote. If they said yes, then they were shot in the head. If they said no or didn't answer, they were shot in the legs. My grandma just got to my house and she was in the room. She wasn't shot, but she's very upset. The Twitter user, Bodie Looney, then recalled how her grandmother attempted to save the life of one of her close classmates. She tried to perform CPR on her friend, but it was too late. Uh, The woman said, I hope nothing like this ever happens again. Courtney Moore, an 18-year-old student at Umpqua Community College who was also in the room, told Oregon's News Review that the shooter was indeed on the hunt for Christians. My, my, my. Moments after hearing a bullet come flying through a window, she said the 20-year-old shooter made his way inside and targeted their teacher, pumping a single round into their head. I guess his or her head, not, I mean, how many teachers they got. Anyway, as the young man ordered people to the ground, Moore laid patiently with her classmates and waited. You know, I don't know, but I got a gunman in the room ordering me to lay on the ground. I don't know if I'm going to be all that patient. But anyway, as the young man ordered people to the ground, uh, once they all got down, she said the gunman began asking people to rise and say what their religion was. After they stood and gave their answer, he started shooting. As the chaos continued, students began scrambling like ants, according to Brady, uh, a 23-year-old student from Portland who was in the room next door. Uh, You know, so it goes on and on about how, you know, they heard a pop, everybody was screaming and uh, leaving their belongings behind and, you know, this and that and the other thing. And, of course, you know, they locked the doors and hid and all this stuff. Now, uh, you got to remember one thing here. Let's talk about some things here. For one, this school had one security guard, and he was an unarmed security guard, probably because this school was a gun-free zone. As a matter of fact, when you read their policy, which I did, even water pistols were forbidden. Because, you know, that's like a gun, don't you know? In liberal fantasy world. So, What could he do? He wasn't injured because, well, what's he going to do? Go throw himself in front of a few bullets? One security guard that's unarmed. Now, of course, all over Twitter and out of the White House, they're calling for, we got to do something. We got to make some more laws. We got to change our laws. We got to, we got to, we got to. And you know what? I agree. We do got to change our laws. 
we got to change our laws to where people, it's easier for them to carry a concealed weapon. Now, I'm not advocating that, you know, gee, everybody just, uh, you know, let's get rid of the laws. You know, look, you got to remember the Constitution of the United States of America goes something like a well-regulated militia being necessary to free state, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has a right to bear, you know, keep and bear arms. Well, yeah, we focus on the keep and bear arms a lot. Just like with the, you know, freedom of religion and the First Amendment, we focus on, well, yeah, Congress can make no law, you know, uh, upholding a religion. Yeah, but it says right after that, nor can it make laws... Uh, uh, infringing on anybody's religious beliefs. Look, man, when you tell me I can't bring a Bible onto a public school uh, property, you're infringing on my religious rights. Are you kidding me? When you're telling me I can't end my prayer in, in Jesus' name, you're infringing on my religious rights. When you're telling me I gotta serve homosexuals, I'm sorry, you're infringing on my religious rights. You know, I mean, sure, they can't make any law supporting any religion, but they can't make any laws depriving any religion of their religious rights, their religious freedoms, their religious liberties. But they do. And the Second Amendment, there's, you know, parts of that everybody ignores to a well-regulated militia. Now, there's been people that have focused in on that to the point to say, hey, see, the Second Amendment only applies to a well-regulated militia. And they go, that's the National Guard. <laughs> uh, sorry, no it isn't. <laughs> The militia, and I, you know, I'm not just saying this, and this isn't just historical fact, although it is historical fact, and you can go back and check it out. You'll find out that the militia, and girls, don't take this personally, because I mean you too. Okay, when I say man, I mean male and female. Because, yes, I think women have a right to defend themselves also. And if they can handle a gun, they should have a gun. The thing is, throughout history, you can see in this country that the militia is every able-bodied man. Every able-bodied man is the, is the militia. So, okay, fine. The Second Amendment only applies to the militia. That's every able-bodied man in the country. Well, all right. <laughs> you know, whichever way you want to look at it. And you know what? It's not only in historic documents. I think it's Title X of the United States Code. I mean, I'd rely more on the historic documents, but hey, it's there too. And it basically states that also. And it distinguishes between the organized and unorganized uh, militia. They go into detail there, of course, because a bunch of lawyers wrote it. But, hey, they recognize the unorganized militia is basically everybody's not in the National Guard. But well-regulated, what does that mean? 
everybody gets this common idea of regulation, regulated, because we've been brought up this way. It's not your fault that you think regulated means, well, lots of rules, because that's what it's come to be known as. Well, we got regulations for this, we got regulations for that, and we got too many regulations, and boy, Ronald Reagan's going to save the day by getting rid of federal regulations on things. So everybody comes to think that well-regulated means, hey, lots of rules. But that's not what well-regulated meant when they wrote the Second Amendment. Well-regulated, and I looked this up, I searched this out, and it's not all that easy. You've got to get some dictionaries, old dictionaries, from the time or around the time when the Second Amendment was written. And you've got to look at some discussions about the Second Amendment, what they wrote down about it. Take some time. This isn't, this isn't one of the easy, uh, you know, learning things. Some things like, bang, militia, oh yeah, all right, fine, you go to Title Ten. This is real easy. It takes you maybe 10, 15 minutes. This might take you two, three hours to do this. But well-regulated, when they wrote that in the Second Amendment means well-trained and well-armed. Now, doesn't that make sense? A well-trained and well-armed militia being necessary to the security of a state? Gee, hello! Because that's exactly what they said! So, okay... Now, you figure, all right, so what? Well, okay, so what? Right now, we have the states pretty much issuing, you know, concealed carry permits. But then on the other hand, you can read articles about the shooting in Roseburg, and who shows up on the scene to save the day to help everybody? ATF. That's who. ATF? Wait a minute. What's the federal nexus here? Yeah, what's the federal nexus behind alcohol, tobacco, and firearms? Where does the federal government get off getting involved with firearms inside a state? Well, because they are charged with protecting our rights in, under the Second Amendment. It's there. It's in the federal constitution. They take an oath to uphold it, meaning the ATF is not supposed to be there to arrest people for guns and this and that. They're supposed to be there to ensure that there is a well-regulated militia. And of course, like I said, this has been misconstrued to think lots of rules. And here we have the ATF. What I think ought to happen, and what I propose to happen, and what I'd like to see some presidential candidate offer up as, hey, here's what I would do. I would take the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution as my authority to institute a nationwide constitutional carry regulation. And say, okay, look... 
We are going to start a certification program nationwide. Here's how it's going to go. You buy a pistol, you got to go to this class. This class will consist of a safety portion and a familiarize yourself with your pistol, meaning break it down, clean it, put it back together. Then the second portion will be you going to the range for a proficiency test. Not just to see that, oh, uh, can you shoot it without shooting yourself or somebody else? No. You're going to have to hit a target 50% of the time or you don't get your certification. And you got to keep coming back till you do. Now, you might not like that. You might say, well, I don't want the government, blah, blah, blah. Well, look, you like the Second Amendment? Well, just like the liberals can't be allowed just to ignore certain parts of our protections in the Bill of Rights, you can't just you know skip over things and pretend it's not there because maybe you don't like it. There is nothing wrong with people being well-trained and well-armed. You see, part of the thing people got this in their mind that, oh man, I don't want a bunch of maniacs with guns running around. Well, okay, who does? But the thing is, look, we already have background checks. Now, I don't think they should, I don't think they should go away. I mean, unless you're going to say, well, look, we're going to change the law and felons, you know, get to have guns. Ex, you know, uh, ex-cons, whatever. Which, I'm not so sure that's not a bad idea. Because this idea about saying, well, all right, you committed a felony and you got to go to jail. Uh, you serve your five, ten years. And then what? Then you get out. And now what? Well, now you don't get to vote. You don't get to have a gun. You got this snig of being a felon. Hey, what's your chances of fitting back into society? Not too good. So I don't really think that's fair. Mentally ill? Well, look, man, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Other, What I got a problem with is who decides what's mentally ill? That's where the problem lies. See, a lot of this stuff starts out sounding reasonable, because it is. But then, over time, people look and see, where's my hook? How can I get what I want? Okay, so let's just, let's just say we bang it all the way down to, all right, we're just going to not let crazy people have guns, Right? And that sounds good. Everybody can probably agree that, well, yeah, nobody really wants crazy people having guns. However, let's say a few years down the road, somebody goes, gee, I, I don't want anybody having guns anymore, and uh, what do we do? How do we do this? I know. Let's lower the standards, standards of what crazy person is. And before too long, you'll have anybody who doesn't agree with what the president says is a crazy person and can't have a gun. That's the danger of it. Now, the right to have a gun shall not be infringed, but a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a state. 
You, you can't just throw that in the trash and act like they didn't say it. They said it, and they said it for a reason. Bottom line is, the government is not fulfilling their obligation. They have taken their obligation to make sure that the militia is well-trained and well-armed. Hey, bad enough, we got to buy our own guns. They decided, oh no, we're going to make permits and licenses and this and that and the other thing. Instead of just doing a certification, are you well trained? Meaning, do you understand the safety concepts of a weapon? Can you take it apart and clean it? Because folks, if you're going to use a weapon, it should be it should be relatively clean anyway. Because that's safe. It's a safety issue. And, you know, it's a safety issue for you. Your gun's dirty, you go to shoot it, it doesn't fire, somebody kills you. That's not safe. But if you don't know how to do it, you just went down there and decided, I'm scared, I'm buying a gun. Okay, you're not a criminal, you get your gun, you go home. Now what? You don't know how to use it. You don't know anything about it. You've never even fired a gun. I don't think that's a good situation. Now, you have a right to do that, but the government has a duty to make sure you're well-trained. But, you know, you're not a professional soldier, so you don't have to be that well-trained. But a little, hey, man, a four-hour course. You know, three hours in the classroom, an hour on the range, you've got a good, uh, you know, you've got a good grasp of, okay... And they should have separate ones. You buy a pistol, okay, you go to the pistol class. Now you can buy pistols, you don't have to take the class anymore. Buy a rifle, got to go to the class. Buy another rifle, you don't have to go to the class anymore. But, that's it. After that, no permits, no nothing, man. You want to stick it under your coat? You should. Because, let me, let me tell you, let's look at this seriously, folks. If 10 of those kids in that classroom, when this joker came walking in with his gun, had pistols under their jackets, do you really think this kid would have been able to kill 13 people? He might have not been able to kill anybody. But if he did kill somebody, that would have been probably it, because somebody with a gun would have stopped him, just like the cops did once they finally got there. See, the problem is, it's not about background checks. It's not about... What it is, is their policy is failed. The government policy is failed. But, I'm going to take a break. We'll be back in a bit. We'll play Stump the Room. See how the room can do. They were disgruntled last night. But uh, we'll see how they do tonight, and we'll be back in just a bit.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
myself another man. It was hell, y'all. I left home before I was 14 years of age. I figured I could do it better on my own. And then followed a number of years of bumming around and kind of living hand to mouth. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is October 1st, 2015, Thursday. And uh, let's see, it's about 845 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live 800-932-1980 can also go to the chat room, participate from there. That's located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And there you have it. Oh, I am Yahoo Instant Messenger. AVRN Talk is the screen name. And let's see. The Room got the first song. And that's a band named Widespread Panic. I figured that was apropos for today with, uh, you know, another shooting or supposed shooting, whatever. The second song there, I don't know if you could hear that, you folks that actually, you know, play music or listen to music. But that guitar that guy was using was only a three-string guitar. And that guy is Seasick Steve, is his name. (laughs) And they did not get that one, so we have a tie. 
Anyway, I thought it was pretty good Any, anyway, anyhow. Uh, so, there you have it. All right, let's uh, get back to what I was talking about here. And we're talking about guns, gun rights, gun shootings, gun policy, things like that. And the right to bear arms. Let's look to the Oregon, because you're all, you're all familiar with the Second Amendment, what it says, pretty much. But here in Oregon, we have a Constitution, we have a Bill of Rights. Our Bill of Rights is part of the Constitution. It is at Article 1, Section 1, meaning it's at the top of the list. It is the most important thing of the Constitution. Just like when you go to the store and you read labels on things and you go look at the ingredients list, the first thing on the ingredients list is what that product has the most of it in. Okay? Section 27 of Article 1, Section 1 is titled, Right to Bear Arms, Military Subordinate to Civil Power, which none of that is part of the law. None of that is part of the Constitution. It's simply a title. This is the part that counts. The people shall have the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state. Ooh, wait a minute. So much for that whole, the Second Amendment only applied to the uh, militia thing. A, bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state. But the military shall be kept in strict subordination to the civil power. Wow. Wow. That's pretty straightforward, huh? No questions about, well, you know, the militia, it's about that. No, 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 wait a minute, it says right here, the right to bear arms for the defense of themselves. Now, why is this important, folks? Because you don't live in Oregon. Well, why it's important is because we had the Bill of Rights, we had the U.S. Constitution, we had the 13 colonies, then the states, and then more states entered. Oregon was the last state to enter the Union before the Civil War. All right? When a state entered the Union, they had to submit their Constitution for approval to the federal government. You know, they had to make sure, well, you're in line with our Constitution. Matter of fact, the rule of thumb is... The Federal Bill of Rights is like uh, a building code. It's not the premier way to build. It's the bare minimum, okay? Look, this is, this is the bare minimum we can allow you to do. Because if you do less, place is probably going to fall down around you. Doesn't mean you can't build it better than code. Well, the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution is like that building code. It's the bare minimum. Every state had to have a Constitution that at least rose to the level of protections that the U.S. Constitution did. It didn't mean they couldn't offer their people more protections within their state. And the rule of thumb is most 
state constitutions do just that. Yeah, this goes on. I mean, you know, so there's no... But one thing that is not here is that there is no mention of the militia. And there's no mention that uh, of well-regulated. Okay? So, seems to me that that is a federal obligation. Not a state obligation. And shall, regardless of what the state, uh, you know, courts say, shall is not discretionary. Shall is mandatory. Shall is a command. Not a good idea or a suggestion, okay? When somebody says you shall do that, that's not a suggestion, all right? That's a command. When somebody says you may do that, well, hey, it's up to you. You might, you might not. Anyway, just a point to be made there. Now, on to the, uh, you know, the policies here, obviously, are not working. And that is, you know, and I had a discussion in the chat room with some people about this, and not everybody agrees with me, all right? And that's fine. But the bottom line is, was this shooting... Another staged event? I don't know. It could be. It might not be. But you know what? While that's interesting, and people who actually can think and are willing to accept the fact that things might not be as they seem, you can talk to them about it. You might even be able to show them enough evidence where they, you can convince them. But that is not the masses of the people. I'm real sorry to break it to you. But the hundreds of millions of people in this country sitting there drooling over dancing with the stars is not going to latch on to that. And okay, let's just say for a moment you did. Let's say everybody in America believed you and said, hey... It's all a big stage, to, you know, event. It's theater. It's not real. Okay, good. What? What now? Oh, what? You mean the media and the politicians are all liars? Oh, my gosh. What a surprise. What a shock. Oh, boy. See, the point is, I believe most of the events are staged. But what does that matter? Staged or not staged, it doesn't matter. And they know it doesn't matter. Because what they're doing, whether it's staged or not staged, whether they're taking something that really happened and just blowing it up and blowing it their direction to make things fall their way, or they're making it happen just their way because it's all fake, it doesn't matter. Because perception directs people's reality. Like it or not, that's the way it is. The way you think things are is the way things are for you. 
until, you know, you get your head bashed in or the house falls down on top of you or something really terrible happens. Then you go, oh boy, maybe I was wrong. But until then, your perception carries your reality. Not the other way around. For most people. And I'm talking about the masses of people. For the masses of people, their perception drives their reality. And the perception is, we got these madmen out here killing all these kids and whatever. Whether it's all fake or all real, it doesn't matter. The perception is that's what's happening. And chances are you're not going to change that for the masses of people, so let's find another way. Let's start using the facts. Something that can't be easily discarded. But I don't feel good about that. Well, that's too bad because everywhere there is a gun-free zone, there's shootings and killings. Every city that has strict gun laws and restrictions, there's more killings than where there's not people having uh, strict gun laws. It's just the statistics. Well, hey, uh, we're running out of time, and I got a caller. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Frank, Jay Washington. Jay Washington, welcome. <laughs> well, look, I just I purposely waited to the end. I didn't want to interrupt, interrupt your commentary, but let me say two things. First, you, I don't think you can ignore, I don't think it can be ignored, that this may be a staged event. And the reason I say that is because they are hell-bent. They are hell-bent on taking guns from people, and they will stop at nothing. That's why I think you can't discount that out of hand. They're hell-bent, period. Second, we already have, this is the part, Frank, and you know it, it's the first thing. I mean, the bodies weren't even cold before Obama was saying we need <laughs> yeah. more. They, they, they more didn't even control. know the guy's name when he started. We need more thing. gun control. Look, people, I mean, this is the frustrating part for me. We have, we are, look, there's, there, there's places you can't even bring guns. We already have strict, strict gun laws. We do. Right, and, and you know what, and I'll, and I'll tell people that, you know, a good, go to the archives and look for Jay Shanahan's show, Condition Critical, from, and it, it was the last show, so it's still in the archives, and it'll be there until Tuesday, folks. Go listen to that, because you went through some... You know, gun laws. Yeah. And and, and, yeah. and you countered very well the argument that we don't have enough gun laws. Our gun laws are not strict enough. And you came up with, what, 1,100 years in prison? Yeah. That's not strict enough. No, I guess not. <laughs> and, and it's just what outrages me. But see, but you know, I was on New York Times website reading about it, and I'm reading the comment section. And there's over a thousand comments, and it's just all tripe. It's all these, you know, these, these, I just don't get it. It's, oh, we need more gun control and NRA people, and they're, it's like, I just, I don't like have any, I, I, I don't have any words for it, how to, how to respond to, to somebody that is that stupid. That is that stupid. And they showed a picture, one last thing, they showed a picture of some of these students exiting the, uh, campus down there with their hands above their heads while police are searching right. them. Frank, would you allow yourself to be searched in that fashion, even during a, after a mass shooting? Like, get your hands off me, I would tell them. I haven't committed a crime. You know you're not searching me. Right. Right? Are you, are you charging what? me with a crime? 
What's your probable cause? But see, people, all oh, they just want to be saved. All well, oh, they're just doing their job. Well, no, the thing you is, moron. you asked how to respond. Well, the thing is, you know, we've we've been responding with outrage. We've been responding with, you know, name calling. They call us names. We call them names. But we've kept it to the whole. How do we feel? Well, we feel like we should have our rights, and they feel we shouldn't. Well, you know what? Let's look at the policy. Let's look at the statistics. Just kind of like you did on your show with the laws. Oh, it's not strict enough? Really? 1,100 years in jail is not, not enough? The thing is, let's look at the policy. Let's look at the free gun zone. Let's look at all that stuff. Well, how's it working? Well, it's not working. Okay, so why no. would we keep doing something that's I... not working? Well, because they're in game, Frank. They don't care that it's not working. Well, sure, fact, I understand that, that but you know, we don't have any other arguments left, Jay. We got to stick with right, the facts yeah. and say, listen. You know what? The fact is, it's not crazy people. It's not mentally ill. It's not guns. It's your policy. Your policies it's are creating this, and so your policies are wrong. It's time to start changing your policies. Look, you've tried That's the whole. Good. Look, we. You know what? We went along with it. We thought it sounded good, so we gave it a try. Okay, let's make laws banning guns in certain places. All right, that sounds great. So we did it. What happened? Okay, that nobody but nobody but criminals have guns and they shoot everybody. Right, right, okay, well, uh, right. hmm. If that went 180 degrees the opposite way of what we wanted, then I guess the the logical thing to do would be to change our policy 180 degrees. And see what happens. Very good. Very good, Frank. Very good. Very good. Well, hopefully you will expand on this. Well, I've been, Twitter, your... I've, I've been tweeting all day <laughs> because I've been out there really re – I've been – because Twitter's going crazy on it, and I've been out there getting these tweets, and everyone I could do I've responded to with something very similar you know, to that and just trying to get it across that, look, man, there's another way. That you, you're stuck in a loop, in a rut. Oh, we can do nothing yeah. but spin our wheels faster and faster and faster and dig right. a deeper hole. But no. Hey, let's pull ourselves out of this rut and go the other way. It's their policy that's wrong. It, you know, Absolutely. And, and, and we got to start taking control of the argument. That's what I'm saying. You know, Take control okay. of the argument. Yeah, yeah. Very re, good. Re, okay. Redirect it in our direction instead of going well okay let's compromise some more it's not a compromise when you never get anything in return all we've ever been doing is not. giving up our rights giving up our rights we've got nothing in return that's no compromise that's a concession mm -hmm. you know but anyway i'm out of time jay i gotta go but thanks for calling in you got it frank take care folks i gotta go Good call. Think about it. Think about it. Talk about it. Call people. Tell your representatives now. Hey, you know what? Have you ever thought maybe your policies are wrong? If your policies create 180 degrees of what you thought was going to happen, let's go the other way. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. I heard it through the grapevine. I knew never don't like my big red barn. A 47 Ford bullet holes in the door broke down motor in the front yard. <laughs> I gotta have a mind to paint a plywood sign and nail it up on a knotted pine tree. Saying I was here first, this is my piece of dirt and your rambling don't rattle me. Some people care about what other people think, worry about what they say.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. You're listening to the American Voice Radio Network on free-to-air KU satellite at Galaxy 25, Transponder 5, Frequency 11836 Vertical. You can listen to the American Voice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.
remember the world that you are now seeing. For this natural world is in jeopardy. And even if you are willing to help put an end to what you are about to see, you may never be able to see the world in the same way again. In the early part of 1999, an immense operation began, an operation using aircraft that many of us will find difficult to accept. This operation involves a dispersal of massive amounts of fine materials into the atmosphere, and the implications of these actions are grave and far-reaching, and they strain the limits of understanding. There will be counterclaims to the evidence that is presented within this film, and you will be told that all is normal and as it should be. You will be told that there is nothing to be concerned about, and that all is as it has always been. Your eyewitness accounts will be dismissed as unreliable. This dismissal by claimed authorities and officials will be in direct contradiction to fundamental physical principles and your own common sense, but you will encounter it nonetheless. This dismissal now spans a time period of more than five years, and it accompanies a grassroots awareness that has been reached by millions of concerned and engaged citizens. From this point on, I urge you to use your own mind to reach your own conclusions on the truth of the matter. trademark of high-altitude aircraft since the close of World War II. You notice that the condensation disappears fairly quickly, much like your breath on a cold winter day. This is as it should be, and as it has been. For those curious enough to delve into the physics, chemistry, and thermodynamics of contrails, this normalcy has a more thorough explanation. Yes, science and common sense do agree and the balances of nature are achieved with this common phenomenon. And now we 
we must take a different turn, a turn to explore an unusual world that now surrounds us, and yet a world that many of us remain unaware of. The atmosphere of this planet has been changed, and you are now being introduced to one of the main causes of that change. The aircraft at the upper portion of the screen is leaving a normal contrail, and it vanishes as any trail of water vapor is expected to. But beneath it, you see an aircraft emission that is stationary, thick, continuous, and persistent, and it must eventually be concluded that it is not primarily water vapor. The environmental conditions for each trail are not exceptionally different from one another, and yet the result and impact from each trail is entirely different. The only logical way this can occur is if the trails themselves are very different from one another, and indeed they are. The majority of the footage that you are now seeing has been filmed in the high desert regions of New Mexico. This is an arid environment with very low humidity levels. It is, in fact, a classic region for conventional contrail formation. Contrails themselves can and do form easily in a low humidity environment. In the past, the passing of a short-lived contrail in the high, clear desert sky was an innocuous and frequent occurrence. Cold and dry conditions, exactly those conditions that are normally found in the upper atmosphere, are extremely favorable to contrail formation. The humidity levels of the upper atmosphere are actually relatively low and is one of the very reasons that most clouds occur in the middle of the troposphere, being the lower portion of our atmosphere up to an altitude of approximately seven miles or so. As this examination of our atmosphere continues, we will be now required to consider four types of events or phenomena. In addition to the customary existence of clouds and contrails, we must now consider a new entry, that of the aerosol. An aerosol is a solid particle in suspension, either in a liquid or a gas, and in this case we are considering the atmosphere as the gas to study. The aerosols will manifest in two primary forms, as an aerosol emission from aircraft and as an aggregate or collection of aerosols in the atmosphere. A suitable term for this collection of aerosols is an aerosol bank. It is known now that the persistent trails that form the subject of this film are primarily solid in nature and origin, and that they are not predominantly water vapor. A brief explanation of cloud formation will help us to understand why this is so. Clouds, that is, normal clouds, require two fundamental elements to form, particles and moisture. Clouds are not suited to form in especially clean air. They require particulate matter, called condensation nuclei, that act as a base for water vapor to adhere to. The size of these nuclei, for the process to be effective, must be extremely small. The size of these nuclei are on the order of sub-micron. For comparison, a human hair is 60 to 100 microns thick, and an asbestos fiber is a couple of microns in thickness. The other essential component for normal clouds to form is a minimum level of humidity. From numerous sources, this minimum is on the order of 70% relative humidity. Notice that the requirements for cloud formation and contrail formation are already entirely different from one another. 
This is because they are entirely different phenomena based upon entirely different physical principles. Contrails can and should form readily in clean, cold, and dry air. Normal clouds, on the other hand, require higher moisture levels and a particulate or aerosol base from which to develop. The radical transformation of our sky as a direct result of aircraft activity now forces us to address an entirely new set of conditions. Aircraft are now repeatedly dispersing materials into the upper atmosphere at flight altitude, roughly from 35,000 to 40,000 feet. These materials expand rather than evaporate, and they usually transform into an unsightful haze that over the recent years has decreased our general visibility down to ground levels. One of the remarkable facts is that this commonly now occurs at very low levels of relative humidity, on the order of 30 to 40 percent, instead of the 70 percent or greater that is associated with cloud formation. And so we know now that these are not clouds in any conventional sense. They are indeed a unique and artificial creation that now crosses new thresholds in the atmospheric and geophysical sciences. There is one way that such a transformation can be made, and that is with the introduction of vast quantities of an extremely small, water-loving metallic salt at flight altitude. This transformation cannot be achieved with water vapor alone, and the emissions under examination are indeed not water vapor. They are solid, and they are well entrenched into your air supply. These important conclusions are at the very heart of the aerosol operations that are being disclosed here. These changes in the very atmosphere that we breathe have a fundamental impact upon the life of this planet. And these aerosol operations have many potential applications that reduce the sanctity of that life. These operations are being conducted. They are being conducted without your participation or your informed consent. They are affecting your life, the lives of those you know and love, and the very life of the planet itself. to remember the color blue, where once it was yours to see. The blue sky is your birthright and a source for joy, and it remains at the very core of our existence. There are factual reasons for the blue color of the sky, which can certainly be traced to the cleanliness and clarity of the air that you breathe. But please do not lose the wonder of the sky itself, 
the magic and emotions that you have once shared with the earth in all of its glory. These are more than facts, reasons, and observations. They are the experiences and memories of life itself. Had evolved. On one hand, 
a high level of monitoring of documentation, sampling methods, research, analysis, and disclosure efforts was now documented. On the other, a campaign of continuous dismissal of the significance of the issue and a refusal to investigate was conducted by those very same visitors. You are now seeing a small sample of these frequent visitors and monitoring agencies and companies, such as the Pentagon, multiple Air Force bases, the United States Senate, aircraft manufacturers, pharmaceutical and drug companies, national security, intelligence and emergency agencies, weapon and defense system contractors, research organizations, and the media. The United States Air Force is now on public record as declaring that the entire subject of this documentary is a hoax. This assertion was first made by Lieutenant Colonel Michael K. Gibson in August of 2000 when he stated that, quote, the chemtrail hoax has been investigated and refuted by many established and accredited universities, scientific organizations, and major media publications, end quote. This assertion was later escalated when Colonel Walter M. Washabaugh in 2001 repeated verbatim the previous declaration. Colonel Washabaugh also did not opt to provide the detailed list of the refuting parties. Charles H. Taylor, North Carolina, from the House of Representatives, has stated in March of 2000, in a response to constituent concern, that he has been, quote, informed by the Air Force that these chemtrails are nothing more than ordinary contrails, unquote. He also states that they pose no environmental hazard or risk to human health, and that we can be assured that he will continue to monitor this issue. Harold Hausness from the Office of Secretary of Defense and in response to a direct inquiry to former President of the United States, William Jefferson Clinton, in January of 2000 states that he is familiar with some of the reports on this issue, but that he finds them unsubstantiated by the facts. In addition, assurances offered that there is certainly no cause for alarm. In the first of many responses from the United States Environmental Protection Agency, under the directive of Carol M. Browner, Administrator, it is acknowledged in December of 1999 that citizen concern is focused on whether or not aircraft may be involved in operations that release chemical or biological substances. The EPA responds that they are, quote, unaware, unquote, of any such applications by such aircraft. In January of 2000, a certified letter including a physical sample of highly unusual airborne fibrous material is sent to Carol M. Browner with a request for identification of the material on behalf of the public environmental and health interest. The EPA responds again in February of 2000 in two separate letters with the statement that they are, quote, unaware, unquote, of any programs to disperse materials into the atmosphere using aircraft. The EPA does not acknowledge the receipt of or the existence of physical materials within the correspondence. In October of 2000, a series of more than 1,000 petition letters of concern was sent to Carol Browner as an indication of significant citizen concern on the aerosol issue. The EPA responded once again in December of 2000 that they continue to remain, quote, 
unaware, unquote, of any aerial application of chemical or biological substances that may have an adverse effect upon the population. After a period of approximately six months, the EPA continues to take no action regarding the identification of a physical sample under their custody, and no acknowledgment of the receipt of that sample is made. The discovery of unusual biological components within that sample by independent researchers heightens the concern for identification of that material. In response to an inquiry from Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina to the Environmental Protection Agency, Region 4, the EPA once again responds with the phrase of choice, that is, the EPA is, quote, not aware, unquote, of any programs to disperse materials on the population using aircraft. The EPA expresses its appreciation over concern about protecting the environment and is hopeful that their reply addresses any concerns. Greenpeace, an international environmental organization, when contacted regarding the aerosol issue, stated in September of 2000 that they are, quote, unable to comment, unquote, and that they do, quote, not have an official position, unquote, on the matter. In a separate correspondence, Greenpeace responded to a citizen that they are concerned about global environmental problems and that they do not have local chapters that can help with this particular situation. In October of 1999, Senator Jeff Bingaman of New Mexico replied to a concerned constituent that the Air Force has assured to him that what is being observed are simply normal aircraft contrails. It is further stated that although there may be the appearance of an aerosol operation, this is not the case. Senator Bingaman also informs the constituent that he will ensure that the Air Force will reassure people about this issue. United States Senator Richard Luger replies to a constituent in July of 2000 that what is being observed is simply a normal contrail as has been seen since the close of World War II. Furthermore, Senator Luger states that the FAA, NOAA, the EPA, and academic professors have examined the claims only to find out that they have been made by disreputable sources and that upon challenge provide no evidence or data. Representative Mike Thompson of California replies in April of 2000 to a concerned individual that what is being reported and observed is simply a normal consequence of aircraft traffic and that there is no environmental hazard or risk to health. The State of New Mexico Environment Department in September of 1999 acknowledges a number of complaints received regarding aircraft activities over the skies of Santa Fe, New Mexico. The Environment Department declares that the, quote, data, unquote, does not suggest that any illegal or clandestine activity is occurring. A scientific document that discusses the nature of normal contrail formation is included within the reply to the New Mexico resident. The citizen is advised to keep the department abreast of any concerns. The Attorney General of New Mexico, Patricia Madrid, in November of 1999, also acknowledges multiple inquiries to her office regarding unusual aircraft operations. The Attorney General declares that there is, quote, substantial evidence, unquote, 
that the activity and contrails are well within the range of normal aerial activity. After issuing this notice, Patricia Madrid declines to respond to two personal visits made to her office by Clifford Kernicum, a concerned citizen, to discuss the aerosol issue. The Ohio Environmental Protection Agency responds to a citizen in November of 1999 by stating that they are, quote, unable to complete an investigation, unquote, and that they do appreciate the concern expressed by the citizen about the environment. The ABC News 2020 investigative journalism staff respond that, quote, unfortunately, unquote, a request for examination of the aerosol issue was not chosen, and that 2020 thanks the citizen for thinking of them and being in touch. And in June of 2001, one and one-half years after the original submission, the United States Environmental Protection Agency acknowledged the receipt of the unusual fibrous physical material. This acknowledgement followed a Freedom of Information inquiry on the topic submitted by a citizen. The EPA refused to identify this sample, stating that it, quote, was not the policy of this office of EPA to test or otherwise analyze any unsolicited samples of material or matter. of more than three dozen scientific, physical, observational, and analytic methods have been used to examine the dramatic alteration of the atmosphere that has taken place. These tests have been conducted with much labor, time, and expense. They have been conducted with very limited resources and equipment, much of it requiring original construction, development, or modification. What follows is a partial presentation of these sampling methods. The diversity and thoroughness of examination is apparent in the work that has now spanned more than five years. The officials and authorities have not attempted to replicate these testing methods, at least not publicly. They have not reacted to the results in any formal fashion, and they have not tangibly responded to the many calls for public inquiry and investigation that have been made. The methods and results of all testing procedures are available on the website www.carnicum.com. And this research represents a substantial body of information that may be helpful in interpreting the designs and motivations behind the aerosol operations. Essentially, the method is one of reverse engineering for a global covert operation, and there is no limit to the work that remains to be done. These findings conducted for more than five years are offered to the public. These studies begin with an examination of contrails themselves, a very common and ordinary phenomenon involving the freezing of water vapor into ice and their subsequent dissipation through evaporation and mixing. Meteorological studies of contrail formation and cloud formation have been made. Visibility standards and their reduction from a maximum of 40 to 10 miles have been called to attention. 
a study of pH, or of acid and alkalinity level, of rainfall has been conducted by a network of concerned citizens across the country. Highly unusual statistical results are present in the vast majority of these studies. Telephotos have been captured in the earlier phase of operations that directly show emissions from aircraft that are in complete defiance of any normal contrail formation. These unusual emissions are not a result of environmental conditions. They originate from the aircraft and can be shown in these cases to have no dependence upon even the engines of the aircraft. HEPA, or High Efficiency Particulate Air Filters, have been used in various states to directly filter the outdoor air in repeated tests. Some of the materials found include the repeated presence of unusual filaments, a gel formation, crystals, and powders. Extraordinary levels of particulate materials have been directly observed and recorded using simple methods discovered by citizens across the country. These methods include the corona of the sun and extremely powerful lamps. Caution with the solar method is especially advised. These observations have been taken under the most ideal weather and air quality conditions, and they nevertheless provide alarming and direct evidence of the substantial changes that have occurred in our atmosphere. Rainwater samples have been distilled to concentrate any solid materials or particulates. Metallic-based materials are evident upon observation. Unusual airborne filament samples have been collected from a variety of locations across the nation, as well as the globe. These fibers are highly unusual in their properties, and any claims of being simply spider webs cannot be substantiated. Samples of these fibers have been sent directly to the Administrator of the United States Environmental Protection Agency. Subsequent observation of these fibers under the microscope produces disturbing results, including the occurrence of unusual biological components. The United States EPA has refused to identify these fibers. Incredibly high mold counts have been found within repeated outdoor samples that have been taken. This result is in spite of the fact that the tests were conducted in an extremely arid environment in the high southwest of the United States. This arid environment has been further aggravated by extended drought conditions over the past several years, also a topic to be discussed further. It is a fact that particulate matter in the atmosphere acts as a transport mechanism or delivery system for other materials, including biological materials that can piggyback onto the solid materials. This is in addition to the health risk, including respiratory illness and increased mortality that result from higher levels of particulate matter in the air. It is also a fact that must be reported, despite the disturbing and alarming implications, that unusual and unexpected biological components have been repeatedly identified in a variety of atmospheric samples across a wide geographic area using a variety of techniques. The fibrous material sent to the United States EPA is especially unsettling, as it was later shown to contain biological components under the review of a medical professional. For those who might think that biological aerosols have no precedent, it might be worthwhile to read carefully the documented U.S. Senate hearings held in 1977, entitled, Examination of Serious Deficiencies in the Defense Department's Effort to Protect the Human Subjects of Drug Research. 
along with the contractors that are enumerated within that report. A variety of electromagnetic devices have been developed and used. This investigation has resulted from the plausible hypothesis that the atmosphere has now been modified into what is called a plasma state, or an electrified gas. Testing has produced a variety of indications that this hypothesis is indeed correct and that the atmosphere is regularly being used for electromagnetic applications. ELF energy is of special concern because of its direct connection to the health aspects of the electromagnetic nature of human beings. Artificial pulse energy appears to now have been detected on a variety of occasions, and evidence indicates that it is now a part of our unseen environment. Electrolysis methods have further confirmed the existence of unexpected ionizing metallic salts within our atmosphere. Radar anomalies also continue to point to the presence of an altered electromagnetic environment. The testing and sampling methods and results that you have just witnessed are necessary due to the abject failure of the public environmental authorities to respond appropriately to the many requests for investigation that have been made by countless citizens. The responses of the so-called officials and authorities has already become painfully apparent. Basically, and I didn't know what was going on, and I didn't 
Um, I, I, I didn't know who was doing it or why it was doing or why it was being done, and I still don't know. But I do know. But what I do know is that it is being done, and it wasn't natural. The, the chest would come, and I know enough. You know, I have a, I have a degree in science. I have a doctorate in science, so I consider myself to be maybe not an expert in, in, in this particular thing, but I know how to look at things, and I know that you know that if if you pass natural sunlight through a substance and it gives off a color, it usually identifies that substance. There's no two substances that give the same color in solution. So I knew that I was looking at something that was other than water because that would have made uh, what we know as a rainbow and would have pretty evenly distributed bands of color all along the, the spectrum. Well, I beca because because I was trying to convince people that it was actually happening and it wasn't normal, I began to try to see things that I could point out to the sky while I was with them to say, well, look at this. How do you explain this? And I learned a little bit about meteorology and uh, can, you know the atmospheric conditions necessary for even a, a, a contrail to form and persist, much less ones that just dissipate and, and, and found that there were no laws of physics that supported this activity or the explanation of this activity as a normal water vapor or frozen vapor trail. And so I came up with things like, well, there, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the jet goes overhead, and, 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 and in the same sky, you'll see two or three jets passing overhead, and there's nothing. You can barely see the jets because they're so high up. And other jets uh, come into an area, and, they, and all of a sudden, the, the, the white trail starts all of a sudden coming out of the jet, and then it stops, and then it starts again. And I've seen a number of occasions where they just did dashes across the sky. And I stopped. And yeah, I talked to a few pilots, and I asked them, "Well, how can you do this?" And they, first of all, they did not believe that anything untoward was happening. And they said, "Well, you can turn your engine off." I said, "Would you do it over and over again?" He says, "If you're nuts, the sky's gone from uh, a deep blue to kind of a, a silvery white with a little hint of blue in it. Even on the best days, when when you don't see a lot of activity overhead." for even a week, um, it never comes close to the deep blue it used to be. And I started noticing, especially in, 90, in, in uh, by March of 99, April of 99, uh, people were becoming very, very ill. At the time I was working in the healthcare facility and I was seeing uh, a lot of upper respiratory disease happen. Uh, and over the years, I've watched more and more people come down with asthma. And you can hear it. You go to the supermarket and you find children, you know, children that are two and three years old, and, they're, and, and you can hear them wheezing. You can hear rails in their chest. I mean, this is very unusual. I, I still don't, I still really do not know why this is happening. I mean, I've gone the, the spectrum. I've gone the spectrum from thinking, oh my God, they're trying to kill all of us, to uh, maybe they are trying to, you know, protect us from uh, cosmic radiation that may damage the planet. You know, ultra, ultraviolet or X-ray radiation that's coming because the upper atmosphere has been uh, rented in some way, has been torn, such a way as to let those things through. So I've been all the way from you know the most evil intent to the most uh, beneficent. But in either either case, I want to know. I wanted to know. I, I just want to know. I want someone in an official capacity to speak about it openly. Because whenever whenever something happens, and, 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 and like I said, it's, 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 I've learned an awful lot about human beings through this process. Because I I insist that this is happening, that this is real, and that it's not normal.
that, this, that there's something happening, there's something under the table going on that's not being talked about and yet it's happening in broad daylight, visibly. It's affecting everybody. It's uh, certainly, it, it's no longer the joy it used to be to go hiking in the mountains, to go outside to ride my bike. Um, I've had more upper respiratory and lower respiratory and sinus infections and, and health problems in the last five years than I have in all my life combined. And so that's part of my concern, and also a lot of the people that I care about um, have been very ill. But in terms of are they going to stop it because the public is concerned? Well, the public is going to have to get really, really concerned in a very, very big way. And the thing that, I mean, now that's a cynical view. Uh, a paranoid view is that, um, well, if, if the public does have a big outcry against this, well, we already know they can they can blatantly spray us with whatever the hell they please, and it could be you know they could they could put you know put us to sleep or something you know they could they could put something in you know some tranquilizers or something we just be walking zombies. In a lot of ways, I think a lot of our population are walking zombies. I mean, the level the the, the lack of the general lack of the ability to think critically about anything outside of one's own personal uh, life, safety, football games, is astounding to me. The hopeful view is that they, they're going to stop this at some point during my lifetime so that I can see blue skies again. And you know what? I've never, ever had that feeling before until this started that there's actually one thing I want to see before I die, and that is a really deep blue sky. anything. 
and it's been continuous and ongoing ever since, to the degree now that the skies are so degraded that we never see deep blue skies anymore. Stars at night are hard to find. Everybody is getting accustomed to the pale blue, often white skies that we live with. But I see them going over, and I've taken hundreds of photographs showing this is not your normal contrail that should dissipate. Question. You notice a distinct change then from the 1990 era? Response. Distinct is not the word. Dramatic, devastating. You can pick out any adjective you want. It is dramatically changed, the atmosphere. Dramatically. Yes, extremely distinct. Question. You live on Native American Indian land here. What is the sense of and the reaction of the Native American community to what is occurring? Well, it's interesting. I figured if anybody would pick up on it, it would be the Native Americans. And so I immediately went to friends of mine in the community and said, have you guys noticed? And they are like, oh yes, we know absolutely what is going on. In fact, all 13 of the Pueblo governors had a meeting in secret to discuss it, what they would do, would they come out and protest it openly? What would they do? And after this meeting, they determined the following things. No, they would not. That it was just another dumb thing the white guy was doing. And at that point, I don't think they understood the true significance. But now I think they do. But more importantly, that people wouldn't believe them. Or if they did believe them, would think it was only happening in this very confined space, and it really didn't affect them, and they were concerned for the gaming, that people wouldn't come to the casinos and things because they would think that just this area was experiencing it. So they voted unanimously to not say anything. Question. So even a Native American community did not show the level of independence or the level of assertiveness to make this an issue? Response, it was heartbreaking to me, but they're a little more philosophical too. One of the medicine people that's a friend said to me, you know, this has been prophesized. We call it the death winds. We always thought that it would be nuclear fallout, but maybe this is the death winds. They have a very skeptical view anyway of what the white man's intentions are. Comment, and with good cause. Response, and with good cause, and with history behind it. So, and they've also lost every battle, basically, they have fought that way. But I think as more and more of them get sick, and they are, there is maybe a wider awakening that this is really, really serious. Question. You have a background in the world of journalism, and specifically broadcast journalism. Can you talk a little bit about that background? and also the relationship of the media to what is occurring, what has failed, what has worked, any efforts that you have made to motivate the media to involve themselves in this, to cover this issue. Response. Yes, well, you and I are friends now, so you know that I was in broadcasting for 30 years. I worked for all three affiliated networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and many of the larger markets, and I culminated my career as an anchor at CNN and Headline News. So the medicine part of me was kind of going along as my passion, and so I made my living and had my career as a broadcaster, and any free time I had was spent studying the medicine because that was where my true heart lay. So I have over the years a lot of really good contacts in some pretty high places in the media, 
but I would imagine pretty much everybody watching this will know there has been dramatic changes in the media. Who owns the media? The quality of human now being attracted into the media. In other words, why are they there? When I started, it was mostly all print folk, and they kind of had to tell us, you know, come on, clean up your act. This is visual. But people were coming from the old school of journalistic, afflict the comfortable, and comfort the afflicted. And you are the watchdog, and you go for that story, and you never accept the official version, and on and on and on. Most of the media and information we get now is owned by only three companies. When they deregulated, the FCC deregulated, they allowed these huge, like AOL, Time Warner to gobble up. So you've got these large entities controlling all the information, whether it's film, radio, okay. So the complexion has changed, and I would say the kind of person drawn into it when it became a place where you could make a really good living and people would go, oh, I know you, you're so-and-so, it drew people with different agendas. So you don't necessarily have the hardcore, old-fashioned, get the story. I don't care if my hair is a mess. I don't care if I'm dripping wet. There's a few out there still, but for the most part. So that's that. And yes, when this started, I called in every chip I ever had. I called a very good buddy at CNN who really assigned most of the stories. He was very high, very interested. I sent him your website, a lot of your information. He was high, high, yay, yay, shut down. And I never did get an explanation. As you well know, I contacted some of our local media people. The main anchor on the local station wanted to do a story, we thought, and we shot a lot of video of the activity. In those days, it was very obvious. Now it's a little harder. You don't have the mornings where you have the deep blue sky, and then the afternoon. You get the pale blue-white sky if you're lucky. And as you well know, that story never aired. Comment. I would consider that a fairly serious, dedicated effort by a media person, and yet we saw nothing come of it. Response. Nothing came of it. Exactly. As you well know, the USA Today, which is an international publication, did a story on it. But it was obviously with an agenda, basically poking fun at those goofy, goofy people who saw those things. I believe there was one or two credible people interviewed, but for the most part, the reporter started out with an agenda to sort of mock, make fun of those people who were seeing things in the sky. And if I had a dime for everybody else that they called, wrote, or begged, I could at least buy an ice cream cone to no avail, just hitting a wall. Comment. And this was with all your connections. Response. This is with years of connections. It's unprecedented in my life. And I cannot name another story. People point to Watergate as this big watershed cover-up. I find that laughable. This, in my opinion, is the biggest story. And I approached many of my colleagues this way. This is the biggest story in recorded human history. You have an entire planet now covered with whatever by whoever, and nobody's even acknowledging it. What the heck is going on, and how come we don't know? Question. That's the question. What could explain that level of refusal? Response. A few things, okay? A few things, to be fair. Fear. I saw that. 
fear. Because the folks that get it know who's doing it, and they're afraid. Okay? They know it's something bigger than them. They know all the possibilities of who is able to put planes in the sky. That many, every day, 24-7. It doesn't take a nuclear physicist to figure out that it's not the guy around the corner. This is big. Comment. So even the journalist has that threshold that they're unwilling to cross. Response. Oh, yeah. Afraid. And the few that are left who do catch on to it and say, wow, I want to do this story like we were just discussing. They hit a wall somewhere, and I'm never told where it is. I don't know if it's the news director. I don't know if it's the station manager. I don't know who. But they hit that brick wall, and it goes away.
so good to be on tape in person uh, with you on this subject. I know um, before we couldn't show my face, we couldn't hear my voice because I was under contractual agreement. I'm no lo longer under that contractual agreement. So I can be here in person, and that feels good. And I thank you so much for translating uh, my prior uh, discussion with you on the media and all of that. But today, what I'd really like to talk about is the medicine end, which is my passion and my whole uh, reason for being involved in this is to try to help people stay as well as they can stay given the givens. I also want to say something that's very important to my heart is that I am deeply patriotic. That's all I really want to say. Never thought I'd live to be seeing these times. Um, as you know, recently information was brought to us that's critical uh, in terms of health. So I want to deal with that first, and then we can go back and talk about the other contents of this aerosol spray and the impact of the body, and perhaps some mitigating medicines. We have found out through a very credentialed research doctor that perhaps what we're seeing um, occasionally show up in our air supply is a fungus. The reason this is so critical is apparently this fungus um, dramatically compromises the immune system by consuming those nutrients the immune system uses to repair and rebuild. And um, like every system in our body, the immune system has to keep rebuilding itself. Um, it will wear out, it will wear down, and it has to keep regenerating. If it doesn't have those nutritional tools to do that, your immune system becomes dramatically compromised, unable to deal with any kind of invader. That's why I think we're seeing so many more colds and flus than we've seen in the last five and a half, six years, than we've seen in a long time. I know uh, in my clients, these things are, are like epidemic. Uh, sinus infections, colds and flus. That's on the lighter side. On the, on the heavier side, we're seeing a lot more cancers and, and very devastating disease implying an extremely compromised immune system. Um, part of that has to be this fungal kind of invasion because, as I said, this fungus eats the nutrients that the immune system uses to rebuild itself. People say, well, what do you do about a fungus? Well, there's some things that we know that are very good natural medicines for fungal um, invasions like that. Garlic kills fungus pretty much on contact. Uh, the Chinese mushrooms, reishi, shiitake, maitake, particularly in extract form, have been very um, had a lot of efficacy, caprylic acid, which you can find in any health food store. There are a number of things, and finally colloidal silver, we know, uh, is a, a major antifungal. So when people are looking at their bodies and saying, why am I always feeling kind of run down and tired? It may be uh, we're being told now that this person is looking at the blood of many, many people, and in almost everyone, this fungus shows up in their bloodstream. So that's something we can take care of it. If it becomes something in the lungs, we can do the tea tree oil inhale. We also know that we're getting a lot of particulate heavy metals, all of which not good for the body. Uh, and I'd like to just quick run through them. There's potential uh, damage to the body, but then also some mitigating medicines we can do. We know that there's some aluminum in this, 
Uh, and we also know that aluminum, unfortunately, can cross the blood-brain barrier. And we know through research it's been correlated to diseases like Alzheimer's. Uh, if not so extreme, certainly short-term memory loss. So sad to say the blood-brain barrier does not recognize aluminum as a toxin and lets it go through into the brain. The good news is if you have enough what are called essential fatty acids in your system, your brain has the ability to take that metal, aluminum, and push it out of the brain into your hair. And I think that's why uh, so many people who are getting hair analysis are seeing high, high concentrates of aluminum in their hair. It's the brain doing its job trying to get this toxin out. Some good essential fatty acids that you can consider are flaxseed oil, uh, evening primrose oil, and most recently brought to me very profound is krill, K-R-I-L-L oil. It's a fish oil that's fairly pure. These essential fatty acids allow the brain to get rid of that aluminum. We also know that barium is part of the mix, and barium, besides being a carcinogenic, uh, knocks pretty much all the potassium out of your body. And we've seen, we're seeing, I'm seeing in my clients a lot of muscle weakness, uh, a lot of heart palpitations, all related to um, a, either a complete loss of potassium or too, way too low level of potassium. So we know since we're bringing barium in and it's knocking the potassium out, we need to supplement more potassium in. And I would say uh, for anybody who's listening to me, the responsible thing would be to say, um, to share whatever you decide to do with your health care practitioner because if you're on certain medications, um, it can contraindicate. But these are just general guidelines and information for people, not prescription, not diagnostic. Yeah. There is also apparently some titanium in this mix from your research, uh, again, another heavy metal, and magnesium. And for a long time, I could not understand why that would be a bad thing because we're always encouraging people you know, to take some magnesium in. However, my brother, who's a physicist, accidentally gave me uh, an answer that I had been seeking two or three years why I was seeing so many blood clots and thick, sticky blood platelets, and it's epidemic now and constantly running commercials for blood thinners and on and on. Well, he tells me when you combine an aluminum ion with a magnesium ion, it clots the blood. So we have both of those in this mix. Um, my personal choice is ginger root for blood thinning. I take ginger root capsules every day. There's also an herb called ginkgo biloba that also thins the blood. But I would, this is a very important cautionary. If anybody is on a pharmaceutical blood thinner, do not, do not add in any of these other remedies because you can get your blood so thin that if you cut yourself, your blood won't clot, so it's dangerous. So if you're on any pharmaceutical blood thinner, not, do not add in ginger root and ginkgo biloba and those kinds of things. But if you're not on a pharmaceutical, these are good natural things you may want to consider in terms of thinning the blood. And then there are some, I get this question all the time, people say, well, what can we do, you know, to mitigate some of this? I mean, it's in every, every breath I take. That's something I think it's hard for people to understand. This is not something previously I could say to people. Uh, please don't eat margarine. Please don't drink tap water. These things are not good for you. I cannot ask people not to breathe. But 
what I can say, there are things that you can do to mitigate the amount of it that you're taking in. One thing that you, you well know I do is when I'm outdoors, I wear a mask. It's not comfortable. It looks silly. I get stares. But I have to tell you, since I've been doing that, I've noticed a big improvement in what kind of symptomology I've had to deal with. Also, there is something, a very good all-natural substance called diatomaceous clay that has the unique property of, of attracting heavy metals to it then binding with them and allowing your body to then send it out through your bowel. In most health food stores, you can find it under the name of bentonite. You have to make sure, though, this diatomaceous clay that you're taking in is food grade uh, because they do have diatomaceous clay at the... Um, at the, at the nurseries and, and that's not pure but if you go to your health store or if you know somebody who has food grade diatomaceous clay that is something I do daily to try to begin to remove these metals because all heavy metals are detrimental to the system again um, flaxseed oil krill oil uh, the omega-369 oils very important particularly for brain function during these times potassium supplementation and another epidemic is sinus infections and that colloidal silver nasal spray I use and I've had a lot of friends use it and it's very effective with helping to clean up those sinus infections caused I'm sure by all these particulates I don't know if you know, um, one of the top respiratory specialists in the United States was recently on the Today Show. Uh, he's written a book called um, something about the breathing crisis in this country. And he told, I think it was Katie Kirk, I don't recall who was interviewing him, maybe Ann Curry, um, that death or mortality from respiratory disease had gone from number eight five years ago to almost number three. That's huge. That means that the third leading cause of death now in this country is breathing. And one has to wonder what could have happened in five years to have created that kind of crisis is the only word I can think of. So this is something that anybody who breathes, and I'm assuming that's anybody who might be seeing this documentary, needs to be concerned not only for themselves but everyone they love. This isn't like a firing squad where everybody goes down and you get to watch it at one time. This is a cumulative poisoning that will demonstrate in different people in different manners depending on how strong their immune system was to begin with. Um, what their genetics are and many other factors so this is something that will demonstrate in a lot of different ways you're not going to have as I said the firing squad effect but what you will have is over time more and more debilitated people more and more people who don't feel well more and more younger people which I'm seeing quite a bit of now in their 20s 30s and 40s with problems that we never saw in that age range or rarely I should say saw when this began five and a half almost six years ago 24-7 we know that maybe it's been going on however long but the 24-7 heavy spraying uh, during that time at the beginning I saw mostly older frail people and, and infants suffering and leaving the planet um, 
but now it's it's coming down the old chronological scale here. So we're dealing with people, um, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, um, with a lot of debilitating problems. And I know in Albuquerque alone, uh, five, six years ago, six to eight percent of the children were diagnosed as asthmatic. Today, as of now, it's 70 percent. It's devastating. These are children. I would say to anybody listening, one of the first and most important things that you can do is start to eat medicine. Get rid of the junk food, get rid of the empty food, get rid of the zapped food, and begin to eat, if you can, organic and free range. If you can, at least good, whole, pure food. Don't zap it in the microwave. That removes all the good digestive enzymes and many of the nutrients. So start with your diet. Because your body is is uh, under an insult that is probably never in the history of man, I don't think, seen before. And in order for you to stay healthy and those that you love, you've got to really begin to pay attention to what you're eating, the water that you're drinking. That's the first line of defense. I'd also encourage people to consider a good all-natural vitamin and mineral supplementation program because, again, um, our bodies need every bit of help we can give them in these times. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the most frequently asked questions for those who are conscious and aware of this aerosol operation is, do they, is this intended to harm us? And I can't answer that. I don't know. But what I can say is, do they know that it's harming us? It, unequivocally, they do at this point in time. And so one uh, who lives in a free and democratic country would want to wonder, why would the people that we trust to care for us, keep us safe, allow this kind of thing to go on? I personally um, have gone way deep inside and had many sleepless nights and can't come up with any plausible reason why you could, for any reason, harm so many people um, in such a dramatic way. And so I would say, if you are like me, you love this country, you're deeply patriotic, that take advantage of, of, of that freedom that we are given here in this beautiful land of democracy, make your voice heard, ask for an explanation, ask for a discussion, so that we can determine if this is something we want in our air supply. We can't just keep ignoring it. It's not going to go away. It's just not going to go away unless people of consciousness and conscience decide to get up off the couch and do something. And they can decide what that something is. Because if they don't, as they watch the people around them and they look at their own health and they see the deterioration, they're going to have to wonder at some point, well, gosh, why didn't I do something when I could?
reality of the changes that have been made to the planet, it is a natural question to ask, why? Why would anyone want to? And who would want to alter the very air that we all breathe? We may never know the true answers to these questions, as the evidence is now clear that the aerosol operations are a covert operation, an operation that is never to be openly discussed or disclosed using the traditional channels of a free and democratic society, an operation that will never ask for your consent or for your participation and that will be conducted regardless of your concern. The answers, especially as to why, do not appear to be simple or restricted to a single purpose. The more that is understood about the nature and potential of the operations, the more complex the picture appears. What can be done, however, is to use the vast body of evidence that has been collected at a grassroots level to make interpretations that are at least consistent with this data. This has been done, and there are now five major areas of endeavor that are in agreement with the observations, data, and analysis that extends for more than five years. These are, number one, environmental engineering modification and control. Two, electromagnetic operations. Three, military operations. Four, biological operations. And five, planetary and geophysical change itself. These areas are not mutually exclusive to one another. There is an overlap that can make it difficult to discern where one program may start and another end. It is quite possible that any, and indeed likely, that many or all of these operations are being conducted concurrently. What can be done within this brief segment is to explain how and why these types of programs are consistent with the broad spectrum of evidence that is now available to examine. First, with respect to environmental engineering, modification, and control. The evidence now shows that the very physical nature of the atmosphere has been changed. The best information leads to the conclusion that a hygroscopic or water-seeking salt is a dominant component of the aerosols that have been introduced. It is also an observation that has been confirmed over and over, and this is that the operations frequently, if not usually, are conducted in advance of approaching moisture and storms. These salts have the usual effect of locking up that moisture with the solid particles and to generally reduce the impact of, frequency of, and the amount of moisture that reaches the ground. This is one of the simplest interpretations that can be made that is supported by countless observations, and this is that the moisture levels of weather systems have been altered. It may be no coincidence whatsoever that drought is now commonplace and widespread, and that the moisture of the planet is becoming an increasingly precious and sought-after resource. There are those who make claims that the aerosol operations have an intended benevolent objective to mitigate the effects of global warming. It is also apparently accepted within that same claim that it is best that such an intention not be internationally discussed in public and that you are best off not knowing about it. Unfortunately, the data does not support the contentions of benevolence that have been made, and in fact, the majority of the data can be considered to have detrimental and potentially disastrous consequences to the life and ecology of this planet, including humans. Furthermore, the vast majority of elements and substances under examination will actually increase the heat levels of the lower atmosphere 
rather than decrease it when they are placed into it. This is exactly what the observations themselves support, and that is that drought conditions are exacerbated and aggravated by the introduction of the aerosols and not mitigated as many might choose to believe. In addition, there are many more complicated aspects of environmental control that are possible with the use of conductive aerosols, including the modification of the electrical nature of the atmosphere as well as thermal instabilities induced by interactions with the magnetic field of the Earth. Storms depend upon the electrical exchanges that take place within the atmosphere. Lightning is the result of electrical imbalances that occur in the electrical fields between the Earth and the atmosphere, altering the collection and distribution of rainfall, interfering with the electrical exchange of energy and producing thermal or heat instabilities, all of these point to a very realistic assessment that environmental modification and control is likely a fundamental agenda within the aerosol operations. The United States Air Force has publicly disclosed a doctrine of owning the weather by 2025, and many have good reason to believe that such objectives have in part already been accomplished. This brief introduction to this topic only considers impacts upon the atmospheric shell literally an eggshell of life that surrounds this planet. Understanding the full environmental impact, including the soil, the seas and lakes, the flora and fauna, the agriculture that sustains us, can only lead to an ominous portent of environmental change that we must pay the price for with our apathy. are the moisture and heat characteristics of the atmosphere altered with the introduction of aerosols, but the electromagnetic properties have likely been changed as well. An ion is a charged electrical particle, and all of the data supports the claim that massive amounts of easily ionized particles are another important part of the grand geophysical picture. There are some elements that can actually become charged with the energy from ultraviolet light and even visible light in some cases. Barium is one such element that falls into this category. The implications of being able to modify the atmosphere electrically and magnetically are enormous, and a variety of physical methods that are used to transfer, manipulate, control, and propagate energy in that medium must then be considered. As an example of how a small change can produce a major effect, Consider the following statement from Lancaster University in the United Kingdom on the topic of the ionosphere. Quote, Although less than 1% of the upper atmosphere becomes ionized, the charged particles make the gas electrically conducting, which completely changes its characteristics. The ionosphere can carry electrical currents as well as reflect, deflect, and scatter radio waves. Unquote. What we see, therefore is that a small change in the electrical properties of the atmosphere, be it the upper or now lower atmosphere, completely alters the way in which that shell around the Earth can be used. This concept introduces us to the topic of plasma physics, which may be more in the grasp of common understanding than might first be believed. Most of us are familiar with a neon or fluorescent light tube. This is a perfectly common example of what plasma physics is about. In that tube, there is an ionized gas, 
and energy can easily be sent through that tube to produce the effect of light in that case. A plasma is an electrically conductive gas. This means that there is a source of ions and electrons within that gas, and that these electrons can be used to carry current. We have seen that it takes very little change to produce a large change in the electrical properties of that gas, and the effectiveness of energy transfer and accumulation is governed primarily by the number of electrons that can be introduced into it. The term that describes this is electron density, and it becomes increasingly important in our understanding of the likely goals of the aerosol operations. Multiple measurements of atmospheric conductivity levels, extremely low frequency and very low frequency radiation, as well as magnetic variation, support the claims made that the basic electrical properties of our atmosphere have been changed. These two physical properties alone that have been mentioned that of thermodynamic and electrodynamic change have the prospect of changing our world so much that even the most conservative of environmentally aware individuals should be aware of the prospect for disturbance and damage. Changes in heat and energy are at the foundation of the life of this planet and all those who dwell upon it. logical and natural extension to our discussion of applications to include the almost inevitable role the military assumes within them. Indeed, the dichotomy of extreme, sustained, and continuous interest and monitoring of the aerosol research by the military and intelligence complex, juxtaposed with the public declaration by the U.S. Air Force that this entire subject is a hoax, is curious enough that many of us may wish to seek the truth of the matter. The most advanced military agencies, intelligence services, and defense contractors clearly have an interest in monitoring and controlling the level of discussion and disclosure on the aerosol issue. The tools of research and analysis must therefore be used at least in part to compensate for the lack of openness that now shrouds this democracy under the guise of national security. A glimpse into the military window has been achieved, and a central theme will eventually emerge, and that is of control. Control in the deepest and far-reaching sense that you may imagine. For when the atmosphere of the planet is controlled, life itself, in the end, is controlled. With a basic knowledge of plasma physics, that is, the physics of an energized gas or atmosphere, it is impossible to proceed further without at least a brief introduction to the HARP facility and technology. HARP, or High Active Auroral Research Program, is operated by the U.S. Air Force and is claimed to be simply a research facility. The stated purpose by the Air Force for the HARP project is that of a scientific endeavor aimed at studying the properties and behavior of the ionosphere, with particular emphasis on being able to understand and use it to enhance communications and surveillance systems for both civilian and defense purposes. It may be this, and then again, it may be more than simply a scientific endeavor. It may also be enlightening to consider United States Patent 4686-605 by Bernard Eastland in 1987 entitled, A Method and Apparatus for Altering a Region in the Earth's Atmosphere 
ionosphere, and or magnetosphere. There are many who have sensibly concluded that this patent essentially represents a blueprint for the HARP facility as it has been constructed. This patent makes mention of numerous objectives and methods of operation that far exceed any scientific endeavor alone and references the work of Nikola Tesla as a source of historical contribution. The amazing inventions and achievements of Tesla with respect to energy transfer and amplification, including the use of the atmosphere as a medium for sending energy from point A to point B, are well documented. The documents of Tesla were eventually confiscated at the close of his life, especially as they related to military matters, and he is generally now accepted as an unrecognized genius. The current incarnation of ionospheric heating is able to, according to Mr. Eastland, put unprecedented amounts of power in the Earth's atmosphere at strategic locations and to maintain that power level with the pulsing of energy. This patent also recommends the use of large clouds of barium so that ionization by sunlight will increase the electron density within the plasma environment. Testing and analysis does now positively indicate the presence of unusual levels of barium, a toxic element, within atmospheric samples. The amount of power inherent in the design of the HARP project is further indicated by Mr. Eastland stating that the present invention can be formed to simulate or perform the same functions as a detonation of a heave-type nuclear device without actually having to detonate such a device. A heave weapon has the effect of lifting the magnetic field of the Earth itself and involves the expenditure of massive amounts of energy. The patent is further stated to have numerous military implications, including the enhancement of or interference with communication and guidance systems, including those of airplanes and missiles, radar interference, missile destruction, weather modification, material transport of micron-sized particles, and molecular change of the atmosphere are each mentioned as further applications of the patent design. The executive summary for the HART project also specifically mentions forcing the descent of particles from the atmosphere toward the ground using ELF radiation from HART. Clearly, environmental modifications, the electromagnetic transfer of energy, and military operations of global impact are already in sight from the existence of these aerosols within our atmosphere. State Senate held hearings on the subject of biological testing by the Department of Defense on human subjects without their informed consent. In the opening statement, Senator Kennedy identifies the key issue of the hearings, the known use of Americans as unwitting human subjects for open-air germ warfare testing conducted in the public domain by officials of our own government. Furthermore, he poses a critical question. Should a democratic people cede to its government the full responsibility of determining when secret tests on unwitting subjects are necessary to protect the nation's security? It appears that this key issue was never truly addressed, and that almost 30 years later, this responsibility is no longer a question that is even being posed to the public. 
It is a fact, however unpleasant and distressing the consideration may be, that biological components have been repeatedly identified in a series of tests of atmospheric samples over a period of several years. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has refused to identify physical material that has been demonstrated to contain biologicals of the same form. These components appear to involve the use of desiccation, freeze-drying, and aerosol distribution methods, exactly the same methods itemized within the private contractor listings of the Senate hearings. Evidence further indicates that extremely advanced biotechnical methods are likely to be a part of the development and delivery process. To date, no professional or public medical professionals have attempted to duplicate the test methods and results, and the evidence continues to be provided only through independent citizen activism. Acknowledgement and response to this evidence by all public officials remains lacking. There is currently no prospect of government hearings on the aerosol issue, and the reality of the evidence continues to be denied by public officials. electromagnetic, military, and biological aspects of the aerosol issue. It is not unreasonable to consider interactions with the Earth as a whole. It is not impossible that there may be connections between the energy levels of this altered plasma of the Earth and geophysical processes, including Earth changes. There has been increased attention in recent months by prestigious scientific organizations, mainstream media, and the Defense Department itself on dramatic Earth changes that are foreseen in the not-too-distant future. These discussions center on major climatic change and geophysical field changes, such as the magnetic field. Under disclosure is the likelihood that these changes occur much more rapidly than was previously supposed. It is at least a theoretical reality that a plasma sheath around the Earth can accumulate energy. This originates from the combination of increased electron density and low-frequency energy propagation. There are many questions that can be asked as to how and if this energy can be harnessed to affect the Earth. The many abnormal Earth changes already on the record during the recent years certainly offer a motive for examining the energy transfer between the Earth and the now altered atmosphere. documentary are true or not. You have seen the distinctions between what mankind has known for decades to be in harmony with our surroundings and that which is a product of our urge for technological supremacy over nature. You have seen a clear sky, this blue that was but is no more, the sky that has been taken away from us all. You have been confronted with assertions of operations on a scale never seen before in the history of mankind. And you have been shown evidence that aircraft can alter and have altered the fragile envelope for life that we call the atmosphere. You have seen science and sampling applied to the problem over and over at the grassroots level. 
numerous methods have been demonstrated that show artificial and deliberate modification of the atmosphere, including its chemical, thermal, electromagnetic, and physical properties. There are detrimental effects that can be anticipated and that have been observed as a result of these changes in our air, and we must all accept the consequences of the toxic environment that has been created. The health of our home and lives have been sacrificed in the search for dominion and control. You have witnessed a high level of interest in the subject of this documentary by the military branches at the highest level, the intelligence services, the chemical industry, research organizations, defense contractors, bioengineering firms, and the pharmaceutical complex. You have heard the responses of the public, government, and even environmental organizations in response to the innumerable requests by the public for investigation. These responses repeatedly revert to describing phenomena that are normal and commonly observed while denying and dismissing the extraordinary observations that sensible and reasonable citizens have called attention to. There has been a sustained campaign to ridicule and discredit the cumulative efforts of years of research, activism, and devotion by countless individuals acting from the motive of concern for the health of this planet and its inhabitants. A free and democratic society, if it is to continue to exist, must be able to openly discuss the benefits of technological and military supremacy against the deleterious impact upon the environment that we as global citizens must share. Divine rights of humankind must assume their rightful place amongst the individual nation's right for military security and secrecy. You have heard the responses of only a few citizens and professionals who state their sensible concerns about the impact of the aerosol operations upon our environment and our health. The lack of time prevents the presentation of the awareness that is now known to be shared by a grassroots network that conservatively must include millions of people. The extent of this awareness across national boundaries is apparent, and this network is of global proportion. The control of media information by relatively few corporate interests appears to be a significant factor in the restriction of honest and open public discourse on the aerosol issue. The attempts at ridicule of this issue by the U.S. military establishment should also be evaluated as to intent and motive. You have been provided with an analysis of the potential agendas of the aerosol operations, the conduct of environmental, military, electromagnetic, Biological and geophysical operations are each consistent with the vast body of information and evidence that has been accumulated over a period of more than five years. This result has been reached with the painstaking efforts of numerous citizens, researchers, and activists across the country and around the globe. Many of the operations under consideration would appear to regard the welfare of human beings, the life of this planet, and our environment as a low priority. Many people having become convinced of the reality of these operations, will naturally ask the question, what can I do to help? It is also known from experience and history that many of these same individuals feel helpless and powerless after they confront the immensity and complexity of the operations. They also often become disillusioned after encountering the predictable and disingenuous responses of our public servants. It is also known that the traditional methods of dissent and activism are no longer working, and the political process is failing in a constitutional sense. Petitions have been signed and disregarded. Appeals for investigation are dismissed. 
Calls for media involvement lead to crafted articles of ridicule. Even the legitimacy of the voting process itself is in question. There is no comfortable, reassuring, and simple answer that can be given to you. This is the reality that we must face. It is expected that any success will eventually result from an enormous groundswell of grassroots activism and open public protest. At the current rate of progress, a timeline of decades can be projected before we reach the level of influence that is needed. The sober counter-reality is that the health of this planet is not likely to give us such a generous allowance of time. Our atmosphere is our lifeblood, and like the proverbial frog in the warming pot of water, we are acting obliviously to our own demise. You will have to use your talents and resources, your gift of life, to help this planet. The role of this researcher has been to give you the best information of what is believed to be the true nature of the aerosol operations. You will have to determine your role and exercise that role while you still have the opportunity to do so. If you are a professional, you must inquire into the ethics of your profession and answer the questions of public service that accompany it. If you are a citizen, you must participate. If you remain silent in the hope of preserving your freedom and security, you are almost certain to lose both. The doctor, the journalist, the scientist, the lawyer, the politician, the environmentalist, the activist, the author, the filmmaker, the fundraiser, the organizer. You must all assume your roles openly, publicly, and quickly to offer any real hope for our survival. I make this appeal to you. This documentary is a not-for-profit venture. It has been made with an appeal to you personally in mind. It may be freely copied in its entirety and distributed. No individual is permitted to distribute this documentary with a profit motive. It has been created for the benefit of the public. Please help us to restore and regain the world that you know can exist. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. 
They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Talk show host Terry Anderson, known from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles for articulating the popular rage, sat down with Californians for Population Stabilization to discuss the impact illegal immigration has had on black Americans. Anderson, who grew up in South Central Los Angeles and lives there still today, says that blacks in particular have suffered at job sites and in classrooms as a result of explosive illegal immigration. As he likes to say, if you ain't mad, you ain't paying attention. The new threat in this new millennium is politicians, mostly Democrats, but some of these rotten bastards happen to be Republicans also, but mostly Democrats, who are willing to not only look the other way, but are taking a proactive stance in making sure that the laws are not enforced under any circumstances. One of the most vile, heinous, anti-American representations of the new lawlessness is Speaker of the House Representative Nancy Pelosi. She is two accidents away from being the President of the United States, and recently she said that the enforcement of our current immigration laws are, quote, un-American, unquote. Unbelievable. Uh, I've lived in South Central L.A. my whole life. Uh, I saw the deterioration due to the illegal alien invasion. And one day I started listening to talk radio, and it happened to be George Putnam, who we all know. And uh, I kind of thought I was the only person involved in this. Well, not involved. I was the only person who felt this way. Thought I was by myself, and I heard people call his show just as angry as I was. And I got more involved in talk radio. I, I looked around the neighborhood. I saw the, the, the denseness, 10, 20 people living in a two-bedroom house. Four and five cars at each house, uh, corn growing in the front yard, chickens, goats in yards. This is all the stuff we never had when I was growing up there in the 50s and 60s. And all of a sudden we had it. I knew something was wrong. And then I got kind of uh, aware of things when I saw the amnesty of 1986. I said, I was a very non-political guy. But even as non-political as I was, I said, this ain't going to work. Because if they do this, more will come. And that's what happened. Very slow in the 50s almost non-existent. Uh, in the 60s, it began to change basically from a white culture to a black culture. And then all of a sudden, in the late 70s, early 80s, it started to change to an, what I thought at that time was an immigrant culture. I later found out it was illegal aliens. And then it became very fast-paced. From, I would say, 85 until the present, present, it has just been unbelievably fast. Well, right now, if you're black in South Central L.A., you can't get work. I'm not, there are people working. But if you go to McDonald's, you're a 15, 16-year-old kid, you go to McDonald's for an after-school job, weekend job, summer job, they want you to be bilingual. 
bilingual to flip a hamburger, okay? Are there some black kids working in South Central in McDonald's and Jack in the Box? Yes, there are, but the majority are not. You will go into these places now that used to be all black kids working there are now all Hispanics with the one token black kid in there. Uh, construction work, non-existent for blacks, non-existent. I remember when they built the Magic Johnson Theater uh, owned by Sony and Magic Johnson. Uh, it was an all-white crew building this movie theater in the Crenshaw Mall. Black construction workers got very angry, picketed, went there and said, we want at least 50% of these jobs, which was correct. And they got 50% of the jobs. Now, you've got all these black construction workers out of jobs with no work, and every construction site now is all Hispanic, mostly illegal alien, and no black politician is saying a word. Even the janitors are becoming non-existent blacks. The only place that I've seen black folks still have a strong foothold, and that's slipping away, school janitors, LA Unified, okay, and bus drivers, LA Unified bus drivers, that Unified School District. That's the only place I still see a lot of blacks working. And the, the ticket agency to write your parking tickets is still predominantly black. Every other aspect of, of, of labor in South Central LA is now Hispanic. Well, you know, when it was whitey, you want half of his, but when it's another, and I hate this word, but I'll use it because you asked me, when it's another minority, unquote, then it's okay. As long as the minority's getting to work, black folks say, well, it's okay. And I say black folks, I mean black leaders. The black rank and file, you talk to them in the grocery store, you go to Pep Boys and talk to them, you go to the bank and talk to them, they will tell you they're fed up with this invasion. But the leaders will not let the public know that. There's two reasons why the, the, the black construction workers won't pick it. Number one, it's futile now, okay? They just know there's just no way they're going to get a job anyway. The other reason is the, 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 the numbers have been so decimated. We've been diluted now. A lot of blacks have moved out of that area. They've moved out to Lancaster, uh, uh, Palmdale, Moreno Valley. They've also moved back down south where the, where the parents got a plot of land or something, you know, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. They moved down there. So the numbers are down now, so they don't have any strength. The other thing is the third reason. The third reason is because of stigma. They're afraid of being labeled a racist. They, they are scared to death of that word. And they figure if they speak up, they're going to be labeled. Whenever you hear a black person speak up on this invasion issue, they'll always do a disclaimer first. I, I, I'm not against anybody. I like everybody. I love everybody. But it's always that way. They always do the disclaimer first, and then they say what's on their mind. I was at a, an event that, that Bernard Parks was there at the time. He was a, what he's city councilman now. He's a city councilman then. Yeah. He, he's in the 8th District, okay, which is very near where I live. There are construction projects in the same block where his office is. They're all Hispanic, and he doesn't say one word about it. He told us at the meeting that night over in West L.A. that he, he, he was very adamant that 90% of construction workers in the city, not county, city of Los Angeles, were white. And everybody in this meeting asked him, what are you smoking? Yeah. Because, you know, they wanted some. Where, where is this at? Because, number one, there are zero white construction workers in L.A., and it just doesn't happen. Secondly, to even say that about the county would have been ridiculous, but the city is just really, really stupid. And he actually said that that night, and everybody just laughed out loud. He's, he's an idiot. He really is. I have a theory, okay, and I believe it's correct, and I've done a lot of study on this. I've been to Washington, D.C., talked to all of them. It started out as get whitey, okay? 
start out as get whitey. We're going to bring in these other, here's this word again, it keeps popping up. We're going to bring in this other group of minorities who are going to dilute whitey's power, okay? They're going to dilute whitey's power. And then as the group started coming in, it became a tide that couldn't be reversed. So then it became, well, let's be nice to them and maybe they'll vote for us. Well, they did in some cases until they got one of their own to, to run for office. When I say one of their own, I'm not knocking all Hispanic Americans because I love Hispanic Americans. I'm saying that a lot of Hispanic Americans are race-based, just as Maxine Water, Waters and Diane Watson and Jackson Lee and the rest are race-based. They believe in black only. Well, these Hispanic leaders believe in the same thing, and they side with the illegal aliens. Our problem being black, we don't have any illegal aliens to side with that's going to give us power. But the Hispanics do. And then it became with the Black Caucus, well, wow, look what's happening. But if we speak up now, we'll sound like the white Republicans, so we better not. So it went from get whitey to maybe they'll vote for us to, wow, the water's boiling. Shamil Shaw is a very tragic case. We've got other cases, uh, Highland Park, where three or four blacks were killed just for being black. Uh, Canoga Park, where the LAPD gave a vocal warning to black folks, do not go to Canoga Park because your life could be in danger. Harbor City, man was walking his daughter to the grocery store one evening. A Mexican guy shot him in the back because he was black. The, the young girl, 204th Street, was killed because she was black. My point is this. There are sections of Los Angeles where blacks cannot go. If a black person goes to East L.A. and tries to buy a house, they will kill him. They will burn him out. It is, it's happened. But there's... Hispanics living in all the previous black projects, the Jordan Downs, Nickerson Gardens, Imperial Courts, Pueblo del Rio, all of these projects, housing projects, that were once 100% black now are 50-50, and no Hispanic has been attacked because he was Hispanic. My point is, there's a place where we can't go, but there's no place they can't go. What do you attribute the uh, reluctance of the Latino leadership in the city of Los Angeles up to, including Mervio Rosa, to not speak more candidly and more aggressively about this issue? Very simple. They don't have to. Why would they speak up? They're winning. Their numbers are taking over. They're, they're going to be the 80% Los Angeles someday. Uh, they're taking over. Why would they speak up on our behalf? There's no reason to. They don't need us anymore. Villaraigosa can get elected without us now. I, I go out into the community. Wherever I'm at, I, I ask questions. I don't tell them who I am. And that's the thing about being on radio. People don't really know what you look like. But I go out into the black community, and I talk all the time to people. And I, you know, I may be in line somewhere. I say, man, what do you think about so-and-so and so-and-so? Man, they'll turn around and say, man, I thought I was the only one. They all say the very same thing. We're in bad shape in this city. This used to be a uh, multicultural city. It no longer is. There's no diversity in Los Angeles City anymore. And those same black people will tell you that they've got a relative who can't get a job. They've got a neighbor who plays loud mariachi music. They've got a neighbor who grows corn in his front yard. They'll tell you about their child in school who's in bilingual education and not learning a damn thing. They, they'll tell you all of this, every one of them. But if you ask them to stand up and come to a rally, they won't do it because they're afraid. I go to these churches. These churches have uh, town hall meetings. And I've been to a lot of these town hall meetings. Every time they have them, they'll bring in Tony Mohammed and uh, Earl Afari Hutchinson and some of these other, quote, black leaders, unquote, self-appointed black leaders, they'll bring them in, and they are the only ones who take the pro-illegal alien position. And sometimes the minister of the church will. You know, that's about the money in the plate. But the black constituency that comes to these meetings is always 95 
to 99% in favor of deportation of every one of them. And it's not just the black kids. No, no. The, Ameri the American Hispanics who don't speak Spanish, oh, they're, they're in trouble too. You know, they, they, com they complain. They call this radio show. They come in here and, and, and talk to me. I get emails from them all the time. The, the problem with the education system is a few years ago, we were closing schools in this, in this city because of under-enrollment, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Population had slowed down. They were combining schools, and every once in a while they would close one. We just built 165 new schools, 165 new schools. They were after 165,000 classroom seats, okay? All for what? It wasn't for the American kids. Americans aren't having a lot more kids. These were for an influx of people new to this country who happen to be Hispanic, happen not to speak any English, and happen to be in the country illegally. That's what happened. Or the, the, the illegal aliens came here and had babies here. My great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was a slave in the state of Louisiana. Obviously, I never met him. But... The ancestry handed down to me by those who came before me, my aunts and uncles and my father, and they all told me the stories of what it was like because it was passed on to them. And one of the greatest moments in our history was the day we were emancipated. Uh, we were emancipated with the Civil War, but we still had to have a, uh, we had to have something passed that said officially we were no longer property, we were now citizens, and anything born to us was citizens. That was written for my ancestors, okay. Having said that, we've got a new misinterpretation of it that everybody from the world has used to come here and have babies and make them American citizens. It is wrong, it is a misinterpretation, and it angers me personally because it was written for my ancestors and now it's being misused and therefore used against me. I'm suffering from it now because of the influx of so many people and their and their progeny that they have once they get here. I'm suffering from that. My kids and my grandkids are going to suffer because they took an amendment meant for us and turned it around against us. That's outrageous. The media basically at large won't touch this issue as, as in any form. And when they do, it's always pro-illegal alien. When they do touch it as far as consequences to other people, it's alleged that this is hurting black folks. It's alleged that this did this. It's alleged that they're costing us tax dollars. It's never a fact that it's happening, even though they know it's a fact. The only avenue of media uh, where we have a fair shake is talk radio, conservative talk radio. And even that sucks sometimes. Hannity, one of the most powerful people in this country, who could really do us a lot of good on this issue, and a guy that I would like to have a beer with. I think he's a nice guy. But Hannity sucks on this issue. All he talks about is the border, the border, the border, the border. There's more to the border. When's he going to do our show on what's happening to these communities, these kids that are getting murdered by illegal aliens, the fact that we can't get jobs, the fact that teenagers have to speak Spanish to flip a hamburger? Where's the Hannity show on that? Where's even a segment on that on his, radio, on his television program? You won't find it. O'Reilly, here's another powerful guy who, who tells us we're going to have to amnesty this 20, 25 million people. What is that? that? These are lawbreakers, and you're saying, well, we have to amnesty them. We can't round them all up. We don't have to round them up. Make enough, enough effort to enforce the laws on the books. You make it where they can't educate, they can't medicate, they can't incarcerate. Make it where they can't buy a house, they can't open a business, they can't rent an apartment, and I guarantee you they'll go home. What about the, 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 the janitors in West L.A., Century City, Beverly Hills, who were making black janitors, some, some white, who were making $12 an hour 15 years ago? That was great money. 
That was great money. All of a sudden, the, the, the owners, the building owners got together in collusion, not, broke the union, hired Hispanic illegal aliens from Mexico and El Salvador. They came in, they said, we, we're going to, you guys, minimum wage was five and a quarter, I believe. They says, uh, we'll give you five and a quarter fine. They went and told the black and white employees, we'll give you five and a quarter, you can keep your job. Well, if a guy's making $12 an hour, he's got, he's got insurance payments, house note, kids, car payment, all set up around 12 bucks. $5 an hour will kill him. He can't, he can't survive. So they lost their jobs. So guess what happened? The illegal aliens came in, got all the jobs, and then went on strike. And then messy Jesse Jackson marched downtown L.A. holding a broom in his hand, wow. talking about justice for janitors. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. He, he, he's supposed to be Mr. Black. He's supposed to be, I'm so for the black community. These guys just put his people out of work, Americans, out of work, and he marches with a mop in his hand talking about justice for janitors. I, I think it's going to get worse, but I think one thing that might save us, and I hate to use this as a savior, is this economic situation. Uh, I think that's going to slow things down. I think amnesty will be a hard sell now with so many people out of work. It was a stupid idea. In good times, in bad times, it's absolutely outrageous. But in Los Angeles itself, uh, I don't think we're done, but I think unless we get some more American thinking back into this, this city and, and, and less left-wing liberal uh, idiotic ideologies that are taking place where you give everything away to anybody who wants it, whether they're legal or illegal. I think we're, we're sunk pretty much for quite a while. As we progressed and the races came together, we started to drift off into this black pride, black awareness thing, which I never really got, but I saw it and liked it and didn't like it. It brought us together in one way, but it also kept us from being full Americans. But we never, ever talked about taking over a country. We never talked about, we had no Aslan. We never talked about reclaiming a part of America for our race or for some previous country we came from or continent. We never flew a foreign flag. We never did any of that. And that's what angers me now. These, these young Hispanic kids now, they, if you ask them, kids that are second and third generation uh, uh, Californians, Americans, will tell you they're Mexican. I'm Mexican. I hear them say it all the time. Wasn't your mother born? Yeah. Wasn't your mother and father's mother born? Yeah. But I'm Mexican. I'm not American. I'm Mexican. But when you've got a country, I'm not against immigration. I, I, I want to cut it way back. But I think we need some fresh blood every once in a while. But when you have this many people coming this fast illegally, guess what? They don't have to. They don't have to assimilate. They can keep their own 100% culture. Same culture they ran away from, they can drag here. Terry Anderson's show can be heard every Sunday night in Los Angeles on KRLA 870 AM from 9 to 10 PM. Other stations carrying his show can be found at theterryandersonshow.com. For more information on how you can help, go to www.capsweb.org. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of 
of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Again, thank you for joining us this afternoon. My co-host Alfred Adisk will be joining you with a pre-recorded interview with James Corbett of the Corbett Report, as he does every Thursday afternoon for the second and third uh, segment of the program. Today, I will be joined by with David Krieger. He's going to be joining us from Hobson NBT, and we're going to talk about silver, what's available, the premiums, and uh, to buy and to make sure you buy something with a little quick. Delivery and uh, Silver Eagles most likely will not be available until the first of the year when the 2016s uh, reappear. So today is Thursday, as I mentioned, October 1st, 2015. I'll tell you, when a program doesn't start smoothly, it's a little uh, difficult to uh, um, get on the right track, but here we go. We have gold today down. 110 for gold at 11.15. Silver's up three cents today at 14.64. Platinum is down four at 907. Palladium, palladium had a great day, three and a half percent, up 23 bucks at 679. I just can't imagine palladium to continue to rise when you have pressures on on all the other white metals. And uh, we certainly do know that palladium is used for vehicles. And, um, you know, GM made a big uh, call today where they're looking to save billions of dollars. But I just want to get going so we can talk to David Hobson today. USDX today is down 0.14 at 96.13. Crude oil was also down 12.12 at 44.97. Paper markets were off bigger earlier in the day, but they did bring them back. The Dow was only down 12 points at 16,271. The NASDAQ uh, was up 6 at 46.27. S&P is up 3 at 19.23. Uh, Euro, 112, up 0.13. European markets, um, there was pressure on those. Germany's DAX fell 1.6%. Uh, France's market fell 0.6%. FTSE 100. 
uh, was up just fractionally. China had a manufacturing uh, report that rose in September, and it was up from its lowest level in three years. So you still have China's economic growth holding steady at 7% in the last quarter that ended in June. Uh, let's see, anything else? Dunkin' Donuts, if you like Dunkin' Donuts, they're going to be closing 100 stores around the country as I guess everyone thinks that they're getting healthier and not buying their donuts. Um, but, you know, we saw the same thing with Twinkies. However, Dunkin' Donuts, they have really good coffee. So, um Support them for their coffee. I want them to be around for their coffee. And um, let's see, I think that's uh, enough tomorrow. We do have the, the jobs report. They're forecasting that employers added about 200,000 workers to their payrolls last month. And, uh, you know, again, you know, the will she or won't she at the Federal Reserve increase its benchmark interest rate at the next meeting later this month. And, of course, if uh, strong hiring in the jobs report shows, then you could expect uh, that she might. Um, but it just seems uh, there's a lot of warning uh, that she shouldn't. So uh, that's pretty much it for tomorrow. Oh, and uh, the Commerce Department releases factory orders for August at 10 a.m. So you have uh, two major business economic events that are scheduled for tomorrow, and certainly everyone is eyeing the hurricane that is coming up the coast. But let's go ahead and talk to David Hop, uh, David Krieger of Hobson NBT. And uh, he lives in Tampa, Florida, and um, he's familiar with hurricanes. Good afternoon, David. Hello, Melody. It's great to be back with you. It's great to have you here. It's been a while. It has. It has. I thought I was uh, banned from the show for a while, but I, uh, <laughs> I, that, I, that's kind of a, just a joke. I, I, yes. I know that's not true. Really? No. Anyway, every, all eyes, all eyes are focused on uh, certainly uh, uh, the hurricane that's uh, pounding the Bahamas right now, and um, um, every, I, I think, think all eyes are. You know, it, as much as uh, Florida is always in the uh, in the target yeah. zone, uh, this one looks like it's going to go a little further north. I think uh, you're going to have more uh, feeling from it than we are. Uh, frankly, in Tampa, the. Uh, Joaquin has sucked a lot of the uh, humidity out of here, and uh, Florida's uh, actually in great shape right now. Well, it can change. (laughs) (laughs) It it could change. (laughs) I'll tell you uh, some time about being uh, in charge of uh, a lot of people, close to 80,000, going through a major hurricane. With uh, what in the Philippines was called a typhoon and a simultaneous volcanic eruption. That uh, I, I'm a veteran of that, and uh, I don't think anybody would ever want to do that again. No, and I, I hope that would never happen again. I can't imagine um, sure. the destruction, the destruction, and everything. But uh, hopefully, this hurricane gets pulled back out to sea, and uh, you, you watch the, you know, you watch the the, the radar, and it, it doesn't even look like this hurricane would head north. I mean, it really does look like it would go into Florida the way it's turning and everything. <laughs> but certainly, uh, you know, all these uh, experts are saying it will move, hopefully it'll move a little more out to sea and, yes. and not have a direct hit on the East Coast. And, you know, we're going to talk about gold and, and, and mainly silver today, David. But it just mm-hmm. really amazes me. And we all know gold prices and silver prices are manipulated. But, you know, here you have... You know, all these things that are happen that are happening in this country. There was another shooting in Oregon uh, at a community college. I guess ten yes. or 
are are, are dead. And uh, but you have Russia. You know they're you know on airstrikes. You have Iranian troops that are. It's just like really, and there's no increase in the gold prices. I mean, ten years ago, the same news, prices of gold and silver would be up huge. They would, they would have probably skyrocketed on the uh, following the press conference of uh, Kerry yesterday. Uh, I have no question about that. I, I think you're right. What I have seen, though, and it, I think you've seen it, is that uh, uh, there are a lot of people that are are buying uh, are buying coins, and uh, the delivery is stretching out on them. And I think that's an indicator that uh, even though the price isn't going up, it's a great time to accumulate, and and people are doing that. So we, we're staying busy, and uh, uh, a lot of it's shifted to uh, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, uh, an easily uh, uh, storable um, silver bullion, and uh, that's that's a little bit unusual for me because, as you know, I I tend to uh, like the certified coins and the uh, Swiss uh, francs uh, uh, a little bit more. But uh, the latest thing from uh, Australia, which is the kangaroos, I think uh, we'll have something to say about it. I I, I hope your listeners uh, will appreciate uh, what Perth Mint is doing. It's pretty exciting. Well, I just want to touch on the American Silver, e- Silver Eagles, and then we can talk about the, uh, uh, the the kangaroos and the Perth Mint and the price and the boxes uh, that we have for sale today. Um, but the numbers for American Silver Eagles for the month of September was 3.8 million that were sold. And, um, I mean, that wasn't the biggest month, but certainly it was right up there. There was uh, two two months that were in five mil- over 5 million, and two months that were over four million, closer to five. So, uh, but then again, you have to look at September, and uh, you know we haven't been able to get them. So, you, yeah. if the if the mint had was able to supply silver eagles, I bet we would have sold close to six million. Well, I think that's true. I think mm-hmm. that the uh, demand has been incredible, and uh, my understanding uh, from the what are called authorized purchasers, those are the, the people that actually distribute from the mint. Is that the uh, the mint was running out of the planchettes and they just couldn't keep up with it, and and so what they did, um, they have a number of uh, authorized purchasers. These are people who actually distribute for the mint uh, around the country, and um, the authorized purchasers were on allocation. So mm-hmm. where they they may want to have, let's say they want to buy a million uh, ounces, uh, they were only uh, being uh, given a, a portion of that, maybe 10 or 15 percent of what they uh, could use. So I think you're exactly right. Six million probably would have been very achievable. Mm-hmm. And, and I know uh, uh, some of my other suppliers, they were expecting, you know, like maybe you know, 20,000 or 50,000 silver eagles in, and just as you explained, um, they only received 5,000. So it mm-hmm. really put a, a damper on, on the ability to do shipping uh, uh, and certainly put a lot of delays on them. Well, and frankly, I to tell- we, we stopped, we stopped uh, uh, taking orders when it stretched over uh, three and a half, four weeks, yeah. uh, just because uh, there are too many, uh, too many uh, things that, you know, could uh, go upside down on that. And, uh, and kind of warn the the uh, buyers that it would be better to, to shift to something else. I usually and then, of course, we can always pick it up again when they when the delivery starts again. So, 
I usually go about four weeks. And yeah. uh, and I think, too, when premiums, when you have that type of delay, you have these huge premiums that are created. And yes. I think you have people have to learn that even though your preferred product you want to purchase are American Silver Eagles, there comes a point in time when you look at that premium and you have to look for something else because the product that you're purchasing at this point in time does not warrant the higher premium just because they're not available today. And you should start looking for something else that is uh, that has uh, uh, the same quality, a lower premium, and a little bit faster delivery. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, so we were talking about the uh, Perth Mint kangaroos, and there's a lot of benefits of per- uh, purchasing those uh, items. I mean, they're, they're great coins, and there's some benefits. Would you like to uh, share with the listeners uh, your view? Sure. I, uh, I, I'm pretty excited about them. I, uh, I, I took delivery uh, of, the, of the first uh, shipment that uh, we handled here not long ago, and I, I, I'm really excited about it for several reasons. First of all, uh, a number of people who buy American Silver Eagles buy them in boxes, what are called the monster boxes, of 500. But one of the one of the uh, well, there's several criticisms that uh, have been voiced about that. One is that there's 500 per box, so that means that it's you know kind of backbreaking uh, to move it around and to store it. Uh, it comes in a, I mean, it's a it's a great way to ship and and store things. It uh, comes in a uh, mint sealed box that has two uh, straps on it. But one of the uh, cautions of buying that also is that if you cut the uh, bands that are on there from uh, the West Point Mint. Uh, you know, there's some concern whether or not uh, if, when you go to sell them, you know, the dealer is going to have to sit there and count all 500, make sure that they're all in good shape. Whereas if you don't cut the bands and they remain uh, sealed, well, then it's then it's just a much easier transaction. Well, the Perth Mint, I think, has done something very smart in marketing. They have come up with. Uh, what are called mini monster boxes. There are 250 uh, ounces per box, 250 one-ounce kangaroo coins in a box. Um, They're much, much, much easier to handle. Uh, They are sealed with with, uh, two bands, but if you break the bands and you open up the fiberglass box, on the inside you have 10 tubes of 25 coins each which are each individually hologram sealed so uh, a person purchasing the kangaroos uh, can pretty much cut those uh, bands open the thing up and and look at the, you know open a tube up and and keep nine of them sealed and I and man uh, the reaction to this has been wow why didn't somebody think of this earlier it makes it so much easier you can put you can put a 250-coin uh, 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 box, essentially, in your bug-out bag if you want, or it, you can fit it in a, in a home safe much easier. If you have it in an IRA, it's IRA approved, but but a lot of people are buying them just to keep them in their home, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, those those advantages right there are great. They're, it's it's uh, four nines, it's .9999 uh, pure uh, silver. Uh, it's got a great design on it, and the other thing that I think Perth Mint did that's uh, absolutely special on this is when you look at the coin, uh, above the kangaroo design, it says the word Australia. And in uh, the word Australia, 
there is a micro-engraving in the A, in the lower left corner of the A, that is a, a micro-engraving of, of an A. And it, uh, it's very, very hard to counterfeit that coin uh, because of that micro-engraving. And it just gives one more level of confidence and authenticity that comes into those coins. And I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, Melody, they are very uh, much in demand right now, mainly because the price is lower than the American Silver Eagle. Uh, a little bit. Uh, they come in 250 per coin boxes. Uh, the boxes are are uh, easily maneuverable. The hologram seals great, and I'm I'm really enthusiastic about them. And and frankly, they're they're um, something I think your your uh, listeners might want to consider. And uh, it is a, a silver dollar. It's a one dollar. And on the other side. Uh, well, you you know you have the Elizabeth second on there. <laughs> so, right. Uh, just look at the kangaroo side. <laughs> but we are but we are running a special in these uh, for a box of two hundred and fifteen. The price is seventeen dollars and eighty eight cents. Four thousand four hundred and seventy dollars. So give us a call at one eight hundred three seven five four one eight eight. That twenty minutes goes very quick, David. And yeah. I had a little bit of a problem at the at the onset of the program, so uh, it it took away a couple of our minutes. So I apologize for that. But uh, um, I well, appreciate you explaining. And, uh, have me back sometime, uh, and and everything's forgiven. How's that? Okay. Maybe we'll have you back on next Tuesday and we can finish this conversation. But this is a great deal, David. And yes. uh, uh, the, the boxes are great. The quality is great. The number is great. And uh, so, folks, you just need to give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. Thank you, David, for joining me on this program. And, uh, folks, when uh, we return, you'll be listening to Al and James Corbett of The Corbett Report. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom 
Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival for Wednesday evening. Our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report. James is uh, he's achieving a certain amount of international recognition, um, putting out videos, articles, um, interviewed on a number of different uh, uh, from a number of different uh, TV shows. If I understand correctly, and certainly radio programs, and making a name for himself. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's good to talk to you again, Al. Yep. Good to talk to you, too. We missed you last week. Um, Melody said you were sick or something. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. And I probably didn't get that email in, in time for you to be prepared for that. Sorry about that. No, I was, it was surprising, but that's part of the fun of live radio. Yeah, and I've got Frank here. I can always blame Frank for any of the problems we either that, that, uh, <laughs> Blame the producer. <laughs> That's it. Blame the producer. So it's, it wasn't a problem. Got to get by with it. I've got an article here from the Federalist entitled China's Coming Great Depression. Now, this is an interesting article to my perspective because we've been told for, for a number of years that China is the growing heavyweight economy that is going to carry, essentially pull the world like a locomotive and pull us through economic problems. And yet we're beginning to see maybe that's not so. The, according to the article, it says China's massive over-indebtedness underlies its current slowdown. China is on the road to its own Great Depression. First... Is China really massively overly indebted? I think I'm, a, I'm sitting here from, we've heard so much about how many bonds, how much the China owns in terms of U.S. bonds. It's hard to think of them as overly indebted. We've been thinking of them as a creditor nation. 
Are they really overly indebted? Is that an accurate description? Uh, I don't know if indebtedness is necessarily the right way of putting it, but certainly uh, I think we have to understand that the Chinese bubble of the last several years has been a credit bubble. And it's the banking sector and specifically the shadow banking sector that has been the real boom of of the last several years since the global economic slowdown began in 2008. And we get that from a number of different sort of statistics and ways of looking in on that. But just the uh, the prevalence of these shadow banking types of deals, these wealth management uh, products and the other ideas that uh, people have had for investment in China for the last several years that promise 10% returns or greater uh, on on really, I mean, just bargain, bargain deals. But of course, uh, as has been exposed in the last few years, all of these deals that are being run as, again, not the actual explicit banking sector, but kind of shadow banking deals that, uh, that get done um, directly with consumers, these are basically, uh, I, I don't know what the correct term for it is, not exactly Ponzi schemes, but they certainly are uh, funded by new investors coming into the deal every, every month or so. So uh, they're just paying off the, the old investors with the new investors. So I guess that is a type of Ponzi. But at any rate, uh, this is what's been happening for several years now. And we've seen that teetering on the edge of collapse. We saw, I think, at the beginning of 2014, we saw some uh, some WMPs threatening to default. And we saw the uh, Chinese government step in with another huge creation of credit. So, I mean, it is I think quite accurate to say that the, uh, the the growth of the last several years, quote unquote, growth in China has not been real economic underlying manufacturing growth. It's been basically growth in credit and in, in investment vehicles of various sorts. And of course, that culminated with the uh, the run up of the the Chinese stock bubble in the past year, and then of course now the the popping of that bubble. So uh, I think there is still a lot further to go. But having said all of that, I mean we've heard about the you know, the Chinese economic dragon and how it's going to be, you know, the, the savior of global economic growth and all of that. But on the flip side, we've also been hearing for years now that China is ready to go any any moment now and it's going to pop and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Well, that hasn't happened yet either. So uh, I think we should maintain a bit of incredulity on both sides of that argument. I, I, I think the, uh, the, the point is the Chinese economy is not safe and sound and perfectly secure. But then again, neither is any Western uh, you know, the democratic economy that we can think of either. So I think it's just part of the, uh, the overall Ponzi scheme that's being played by all central banks right now. Do you agree with the assertion that China's on the road to its own Great Depression? I think that's absolutely a possible outcome of the way that the situ- system has been engineered to this point. And we've seen... We've seen some interesting moves, obviously, over the last couple of months. Of course, the plunge in the stock market and then the extraordinary um, extent to which China has stepped in to try to prop that back up and has been somewhat successful, at least at stopping the, 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 the blood from flowing in the streets, but has not really managed to maintain the, the stock market at the level that it was a few months ago. Um, but it, having said that, they have kind of more or less stopped the, the, the tide of blood flowing. And we've also seen, of course, that at the uh, revaluation of the yuan, the devaluation, um, we've seen uh, adjustments in the reserve rate requirements for um, b- banks and a lot of other pretty emergency-type moves. And, of course, also, as we noted a couple of months ago, China finally updated its gold holdings and is now doing so on a regular basis. Every month they're updating them. So they now, I believe, are the fifth largest gold holders officially, uh, having just uh, surpassed Russia with their latest update. 
So there's been a lot of moves in China lately, and I think some of them are trying to stem the tide of a very serious problem they're dealing with, including uh, those huge capital outflows we've talked about in uh, in the last year or so. Um, but also, I think they're, we're seeing the, the real moves towards an increase in quote-unquote transparency to come more in line with what the IMF is looking for in reserve uh, uh, currencies so that the yuan can be added to the SDR basket. I think that's part of what's going on here. And those things combined at this moment makes it a very precarious situation. And we already know that Chinese capital is fleeing, trying to find safer, you know, greener pastures on the other side. And in fact, I just saw a report that 80% of new uh, housing starts in Irvine, California last year came from China. They were Chinese investors. So uh, I think we know where a lot of this money is going. And uh, I think China is trying to, to stem that tide. Well, first off, these capital outflows... China is endeavoring to impose some capital outflow restrictions, aren't they? Yes, and they have various means to do that. But at the same time, they're now trying to uh, internationalize and liberalize the, the yuan to make it more tradable. And that creates more holes for investors in China to get their money out. And, of course, I they've see. been using all sorts of illegal money laundering type tactics to get money out. Officially, I believe there's a $50,000 cap as to how much um, U.S. dollars Chinese citizens can purchase and how much they can kind of move out of the country. But they've been for years using schemes where they will use uh, brokers to basically get dozens of and dozens of different Chinese citizens to help them move out collectively millions of dollars. And uh, this has been going on for years. And I think this is a pretty well-known phenomenon. Now, with the liberalization of the yuan, there's even more of these types of loopholes that people are taking advantage of to get their money out. What about the gold? We've heard that China was buying gold hand over fist for a number of years. And there was speculation that China, I don't even remember how much gold people supposed that China might have. Tens of thousands of tons, according to some. And they would have had the most, the largest gold supply in the world if that was true. And then China comes out with information that leads us to believe now they might have the fifth largest supply in the world. Do you think China is giving us accurate information about how much gold they have right now? Are they concealing some of their gold, or were the previous estimates just over the top? They were rational to begin with. Right. Well, I, I think they're getting closer to the truth, if, that's, uh, if that uh -huh. counts for anything. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, they, they clearly have more than the 1,600 or so tons they're now claiming to have. Um, it's just a question of how many more. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I think we're seeing that by the fact that, as I said, they hadn't updated their gold holdings in, I believe, six years before their uh, June update. And then, of course, it was suddenly they had 600 more tons of gold. Of course, they didn't accumulate that in one month. Of course, they're just starting to open the kimono as to the real holdings. And again, as I say, they've been updating it every month now. And uh, I believe it was uh, 16 tons that they added last month, supposedly. But as, uh, I, I think this is part of a process that's going on now. Of course, they don't want to just suddenly come out and say, guess what? We actually have 10,000 tons or whatever they're 
you know, the true holdings are. And uh, I've seen estimates anywhere from 3,000 up to 20,000. I even saw one mm-hmm. estimate of 40,000 tons. I don't really, I think that's a bit outlandish, but still, I, agree. I think China definitely has more than 1,600 tons they're admitting. But I don't think they want to admit that all in one step, all at once. I think they want to just use that as almost a type of backstop of their own markets and uh, and to keep sort of calm is just a little bit here, a little bit there, month after month after month to make it look like it's some sort of gradual buildup. And then, you know, as I say, getting closer and closer to that truth of whatever they actually have in their vaults. When we heard the stories that China might have 10,000 tons of gold, the next question was, where did the gold come from? And most people supposed it had to be coming from central banks like the Federal Reserve, the United States Treasury, whatever. The, the, the assumption was if China has, the United States had 8,200 tons of gold, and if China was suddenly up to 10,000 tons of gold, the speculation was much of that gold had to come from the U.S. Treasury. If China's telling the truth and they've only got 1,600 tons of gold, then can we, can we forget those conspiracy theories that Fort Knox is empty? Well, I, I think that's a, a different issue. I mean, it's, China has a lot of different ways that they can and presumably have been accumulating gold rather than the sort of Federal Reserve route, which one would not really expect them to be using. Certainly, I think there there still is, I mean, huge question marks over the amount of gold in, say, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York vault and who that's really owned by. I think there's still huge questions about that, and that has to do with the German repatriation, what have you. China is a different story. They uh, have... They've been buying up miners around the world. Um, they own, I think, the majority of gold mining operations or the majority of uh, produce or gold that is actually produced from those mining operations are ultimately sourced back to, to China. Plus, China has become the largest importer of gold in the world. You know, it, it varies from year to year between China and India. But anyway, China is now one or number one or number two on that list. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of gold being sold in the Shanghai uh, Exchange, which no one really knows, I mean, who the ultimate buyers are and whether or not the, the Bank of China might be using, you know, sort of off-the-record transactions to, to accumulate some of that stock. So there's a lot of different ways they presumably have been accumulating this gold over the years rather than going from the Federal Reserve. Uh, if they're the primary, if they are one of the primary gold mining operations in the world and i'm not just talking about how much how many mines are there in china my understanding is they're squeezing every gram they can out of every ton they can find of 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 possible ore within china but you're saying they're buying gold mines around the world do you think china has overemphasized the need for gold are china being incredibly intelligent by buying gold or are they being incredibly dumb is it uh, has is it really become the barbarous relic, or is it genius to buy the gold right now? Well, I I think it's genius insofar as I mean the, it, we know the well I mean I think we've demonstrated in the past the the types of manipulations that have been keeping the spot price down for a very long time. It is the perfect time to be buying on yeah. these markets, but uh, I, I think China understands that at the very least. But I don't think it's actually for that type of investment purpose. So much as it is, again, as a uh, a further backstop 
to show to demonstrate to the world markets when and if and as the time comes that it is meant to be one of the big players and by that of course as i have been talking about for some time now to be part of that sdr basket that the imf administers and i think the uh the the backing of the gold is a, is a sign that this is a serious player on international markets are they buying the gold to back the yuan or are they buying nope. the gold just as a way of dumping dollars well uh, I don't think it's just to dump dollars, but it is absolutely, certainly not to form a specific backing. I don't think they're going to do that. Because as I say, the entire growth of the Chinese economy in the last seven seven years or so has been on the back of credit expansion, which they couldn't do if they were backed by gold. So I, I don't think they have any interest in that. I don't think they want it. I think it's more a sense to demonstrate to the IMF and others, the, the international community, that there is something behind this. But they're not going to explicitly make a backing. The article that I was reading from from uh, Federalist said misguided supply-side policies in China will compound these problems and alert away from economic liberalization toward increased state control of industry. Do you believe that China will become increasingly oppressive because of the difficult financial situation they're in right now, the difficult economic situation they're in right now, or will they continue to liberalize? It's a strange liberalization that they're doing because, of course, so much of Chinese, the Chinese economy is already really Chinese state-owned economy, whether that's directly through Chinese state-run companies uh-huh. or through the Chinese state control of various sectors of the economy. And it's, I mean, I I guess the only way that we can think about this is to look at what has actually happened in the past few months. And, of course, we've had the uh, the reports of uh, the the various traders on the Chinese stock market who have been threatened with and in some cases actually imprisoned for their supposed role in creating this, you know, panic in the Chinese stock market. Exactly. If you short the market, it's clearly because you're trying to damage the market, so you have to Mm -hmm. be imprisoned. Uh, I think that's a pretty good sign that China is not really letting up control of what's going on in in can uh, they their can economy. they really can can China ever can the government ever really liberalize I mean it's compared to what certainly they can be more liberal than they have been in the past yeah right but we're not yeah, going to see uh, something like a European style economy there uh, certainly not certainly not with the, uh, the the political system that they have and if they want if the Chinese Communist Party wants to maintain its ironclad control over the country politically militarily I think they have to maintain that control economically I don't think they can affect you know complete liberalization and completely step out of this game I think they have to maintain that sort of control and I, I think again it's one of those cases where the majority of the population is happy to go along with that as long as they are experiencing economic benefits as long as it's a rising tide, most people are going to be happy. But once that tide yeah. starts to turn, that's okay. when we see this, the political unrest start to occur. So that's why I think the uh, the Chinese government is, would never would never allow the uh, the markets to just plunge. I think that's why they have to do this very slow piecemeal, trying to to sort of liberalize, but at the same time maintain that control. Let's take a break for some commercial announcements. I'm here with James Corbett from the Corbett Report. Uh, James and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned.
financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Adask here on Financial Survival with our guest James Corbett from the Corbett Report. James is speaking to us from Japan. Uh, We are talking a little bit, we've been talking about China. Let's move a little bit to the West and talk about the Middle East. Russia has made some really surprising inroads into the Middle East, and particularly Syria, just in the last few weeks. And now it looks like there's going to be a change that's significant. Russia's stepping in and essentially saying, we're going to kill ISIS. (laughs) I don't know how this is going to work out, but while the government of the United States kind of, oh, my gosh, what should we do, what should we do, and wrings their hands, I get the impression Putin's just going to go in there, we're going to kill them all. Now, I may be exaggerating, but here's the headline from an article It says Barack Obama surrenders the Middle East to Russia, and it matters. Do you agree that Barack Obama is surrendering the Middle East to Russia right now? Is it that serious? Is there that much of a change taking place? Well, I agree that an absolutely tectonic shift is taking place in Syria right now, in the Syrian uh, conflict, and that is uh, brought about by Russia and their machinations. So let's, let's take a step back a month or two. Ago, we saw uh, again through all this hand wringing and what what can we possibly do about ISIS? Oh no, the U.S. Uh, signed a, an agreement with Turkey to create so-called ISIS-free zones that uh, Turkey was basically going to start you know bombing campaigns with uh, U.S. support, 
And, uh, of course, that immediately turned into Kurdish-free zones, basically. I mean, Turkey just using that as an excuse to, to, uh, to uh, try to corral in and, uh, and kill off some of their Kurdish uh, opposition uh, across the border there in Syria. So that was uh, quite, and, and that was even openly talked about even in the Western media, basically, oh, Turkey kind of backstabbed the U.S. on this agreement, and, oh, you know, what, 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 again, what can we do, what can we do? At the exact same time, uh, at that time, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was going around and floating this idea of a broad coalition he was mm-hmm. basically saying, everyone, uh, we all can agree, no matter what you think about Assad or, or uh, you know, these so-called rebels or whatever, we can all agree that ISIS is bad. We don't want them. We want to get rid of them. They are the enemy. So we can all agree to target them. And that was the idea behind this broad coalition. And, of course, it was rejected by basically everyone. I mean, the Syrian, the so-called Syrian National Council, the kind of, you know, Western slash Gulf uh, country supported uh, so-called moderate whatever op- opposition in Syria turned it down. Uh, they were taken to Moscow and they said, well, the only thing that we're ever going to agree to is if uh, Assad goes as part of the deal. That's the only thing that we'll ever agree to. Uh, the Saudis turned it down, uh, unsurprisingly. The, the White House eventually finally came out and said, no, we, we won't get behind that. So it looked like this was going to be the end of the deal. But then Russia just has in the last couple of weeks really put together a coalition. They uh, signed a, an agreement with Syria, Iran, and Iraq. Uh, the, the governments of those countries are going to be sharing intelligence with uh, Russia on I, uh, the IS and their movements and their positions and all of that and operations against them. So there's now a joint intelligence operation there. And uh, uh, not only sort of a military coalition that Russia's been forming with Iran and Hezbollah, now uh, China appears to be actually sending, uh, well, uh, sending at least one cruiser into the Mediterranean uh, mm-hmm. that has been reported as heading towards Syria. That's uh, what uh, one Syrian representative uh, uh, army official was uh, told the Lebanese outfit. He said the Chinese will be arriving in the coming weeks, that they are now a part of the, the military coalition. So that's, I mean, that's a huge, huge step. Even if it's, and I imagine China's role will be absolutely minimal, but any presence whatsoever indicates this is a growing type of coalition that Russia is really putting together at the moment. And of course, this culminated in the last 24 hours in the first now confirmed Russian airstrikes against, well, supposedly ISIS targets, but now the the West is saying, no, they weren't ISIS targets. They're now bombing the the moderate rebels that we're trying to support. So there's uh, going to be some huge... Uh, squabbles in the coming days and weeks over the whole narrative of the entire course of this Syrian conflict, because really, I mean, Russia and Putin are threatening to upstage and show the entire world, to demonstrate the hypocrisy that I think anyone who's been following this knows, that they claim, oh, what can we do about ISIS, so oh, nothing can be done, when that's an easily demonstrable lie. I mean, the, if, if people were serious about taking ISIS off the table, they wouldn't have even gotten onto the table. And yeah. I think Russia is starting to show that uh, with these airstrikes. So I think it is a huge, huge thing that's happening right now. And I don't think, it certainly doesn't seem to be anything that the Obama administration wanted or was planning on. And uh, I, I don't, don't think they, they could have expected this. No. Obama must have thought, well, Russia said, Russia was saying, look, let's work together and get these guys. And Obama said, no, we don't need you, essentially. And never, I can't imagine that he anticipated that Russia said, okay, we'll do it on our own. We don't need you. 
What's going to happen if Russia really pulls this off and essentially drives ISIS into a hole? And one other point about this, there have been stories, rumors, conspiracy theories that ISIS is ultimately funded by, funded, motivated by the United States. Now, I'm not saying those stories are true, but I'm curious whether you think they're true, because if they are, and the United States has set up this false flag operation, essentially says, oh, my God, ISIS, while they're funding ISIS, and the Russians come in and start wasting the ISIS that's receiving money from the United States, can the United States do anything about it? Can they stand up to defend ISIS, their, their alleged hypothetical client? Can they defend them, or they just have to? What, what's going to happen here? Well, we don't have to speculate about where the support for ISIS is coming from because we know that they end up with all of the equipment that was sent you know, by, on the record and in the open by uh, the U.S. and its allies as part of the you know, funding the opposition in Syria. It, all of that equipment ends up in the hands of ISIS, and that happens over and over again. So we know that it is coming. Of course, the official story is, well, we're not giving it to the Islamic State. It's just that it's, you know, somehow ending up in we're their hands. We're just leaving it out there with the keys and the ignition, right. and but somebody I mean, even, steals it. But, but even the BBC and others have been reporting literally for years now, uh, since almost the beginning of this crisis, that the main smuggling routes uh, into Syria for these t the, the terrorists in Syria has been uh, through Jordan, um, through uh, smuggling routes from Iraq, uh, that have been uh, well utilized by Saudi and uh, the, the Gulf states, uh, Qatar and others who have been funding this. So, again, there's a lot of information on that. And we know, for example, that the, uh, the U.S. was running a uh, base in Jordan where they were training so, so opposition who just went on to become some of the leaders of the ISIS, uh, you know, Islamic State. But, oh, how could they have possibly known that that was going to happen? So, uh, again, there's a lot of different pieces of information. I put together an episode of my podcast last year on who is really behind ISIS that, that talks about all this information. And then, of course, earlier, just a, a few months ago, we got the, uh, the release of that uh, Defense Intelligence Agency document from 2012 that said, you know, what, what is happening in, is, uh, in Syria right now is likely to create a, a type of Islamic, um, a, 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 a Islamic breakaway state or an Islamic breakaway faction in, in the country, and uh, basically admitting, you know, exactly what was, what was happening and, and the fact that the U.S. government knew about it. And when questioned about that, the ex-head uh, of the Defense Intelligence Agency that put out that report, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, on Al Jazeera said, yes, I mean, it was part of a willful Washington decision to foster the creation of that. I mean, that's the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, or the ex-head, saying that. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty huge thing, and of course, got very little coverage in the mainstream media, but still, it's there on record. So, uh, again, we don't have to worry about this. I think... Uh, the way to look at this, as in pretty much every country that we've seen this, this uh, narrative play out in in recent years, including Libya, of course, is that the, uh, the, the presence of these dastardly terrorist fighters who just somehow keep ending up with all of this money and arms and equipment and, and you know, control of vast sections of land is the convenient excuse for everybody in the region to enact whatever their agenda is. So, I mean, obviously, for example, you have Saudi Arabia, who gets to now, uh, with a huge increase of military spending last year, now is, I believe, the fourth largest military spender in the world, spending something like 12% of their GDP on the military, as they ramp up in Syria, in Yemen, and other places to assert more military might to become more of the regional player they always wanted. Turkey, as I say, of course, making hay of all of this to uh, crack down on their Kurdish opposition and to try to assert their role um, in the region. 
Uh, Israel obviously trying to destabilize Syria exactly as in accord with their on-the-record stated policy aims since the 1980s. Uh, the U.S., of course, I mean, largely going along with, with Israel and, and their, their interests in the region. So I think everyone gets to benefit from this because the boogeyman is now in this square of the chessboard, so that lit, lets us put our pieces in that square of the chessboard. And I think the, the point is that everyone who benefits from that benefits from maintaining that as the status quo, to have this Islamic State there, it is the boogeyman. It just, there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing can dislodge them. And that's a convenient narrative for everyone who has a, a piece in this, uh, in, this, in this game. And now but Russia is coming along to, to, to show that is the hypocrisy that it is. If Russia disposes of the boogeyman, what's going to happen? I mean, Russia, they can't be yeah. pleased to see Russia coming over there. I, they, they say, my God, what's going to happen to our pretext? Exactly. And, and, and that is on, the question, really. Because once, once the Islamic State is gone, I mean, assuming it can be completely eradicated, what would be the point? I mean, at that point, then it turns back to, well, the whole point is to get rid of Assad. But again, then the question is, well, what, I mean, so what, what was the point of the last four years? And, uh, and just recently, in recent weeks, a, uh, there's been a new leak that was de- denied by all the parties officially, but supposedly back in February of 2012, so at the very beginning, way back at the beginning of this conflict, uh, Russia had said, we'll, we will make sure Assad steps down or there's some kind of power-sharing agreement. We will negotiate something. Um, we will come in and, and, and facilitate that, but uh, and, you know, let's end this, this, all of this right now. And the U.S. turned that down. So that's, that's been reported in recent weeks that that deal was on the table from February 2012, and it was turned down, again, specifically because the, the whole creation of this mess was in the interest of those who, uh, who benefit from it. And, uh, yeah, if, if this ends, then really it turns back to the original, which is supposedly that this is some sort of grassroots movement against Assad coming from, you know, the, the Syrian citizens. Well, that, that has been demonstrated to be a lie, because every time they try to find anyone who can be the moderate opposition, it always ends up being the next al-Nusra front or, or uh, ISIS or all of their money and uh, equipment get in the hands of these people. So uh, I think that's been exposed as the lie that it is, and, and I don't think they can fall back on that. So it looks like as long as, I mean, unless and until Russia really abandons Assad and, and uh, puts that deal on the table out in the open, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that Assad really has, has to worry about this because at the end, I think, you know, there's, there's really no way that he's going to be overthrown by this at this point unless and until the U.S. really steps in and, and, uh, and tries to do something drastic, which let's hope it does not happen because, I mean, that could cause at this point a serious serious international incident between NATO and the the Russian alliance that's been created. I mean, we're starting to see, as we've been talking about for years now, the real creation of those two sides of the, you know, the, the new Cold War narrative of the 21st century, and that's being formalized in things like China now joining Russia's coalition in Syria. We've got about, well, a minute and a half left. Not much time, but why is, what is so bad or valuable about Syria that we have to be involved there in the first place? Uh, I think, well, yeah, I mean, partly this is uh, one reason that people would give is to say, well, you know, we broke it in Iraq, and this is all part and parcel of that, so now we have to fix it. I mean, I think that would be 
something along the lines of the the official narrative of this. Um, but I mean, clearly, we know that on the record, the U.S. has been directly involved, and um, we now have this from leaked cables was involved in Syria and trying to destabilize the Assad government as far back as 2006, presumably earlier. So, um, you know, none of this really washes as to why this is suddenly coming to a head and as if this is some sort of new problem that's, that we're just coming to. I mean, this is part of a, a decade-long destabilization. And really, I think it is part of breaking up the region along those sectarian lines that was one of the real reasons for the Iraq invasion was to create exactly what we have in Iraq now, split along Shia, Sunni, uh, Kurdish lines into a non-functioning failed state, which again allows the power vacuum for all sorts of different people to come in with their different agendas, and Syria is just an extension of that, and the next stage of it. And of course, let's not forget about the Brookings Institution and their report on which path to Persia, which specifically talked about how the path to, uh, to Iran, to Tehran, lies in Damascus. You have to go through Damascus and destabilizing Syria, as a way to destabilize Iran, because, of course, uh, Syria is the major Iranian um, ally in the region. So, James, we're going to have to let it go with that, because we are out of time. I want to thank you for the insight you've offered. I think helpful to all of us to understand we're going after Syria as a first step to getting Iran. It seems perhaps that's what's, what's intended. Look forward to talking to you next Thursday or next Wednesday, excuse me, evening. Um, I'm Alfred Addis. Here on Financial Survival, James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. Thank you, James. Good night. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Never seems to be a single penny left for me. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Welcome once again to another edition of the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. I am Pastor Anthony Garissi, broadcasting to you live from the very wet state of Arizona. I know that sounds weird, but yes, we do get rain every once in a while. It's good to have you along with us, folks. We are a show that's dedicated to tackling controversy and conspiracy directly related to Christianity. Um, And we do all this from a biblical perspective, because really, folks, it doesn't matter what we think. 
Now, you may tune in just to hear what we think, but it doesn't matter what we think. It's mat- it, all, it only matters what the Bible says. If the book's against it, then we're against it. If the book's for it, then we're for it. But it better be in the book. I mean, a lot of things we say just simply aren't in the book. And um, I'm not saying our, us altogether, but Christians do it a lot. Tradition, Jesus Christ warned us that tradition uh, makes the Word of God of none effect. All right? And you've got to be careful about that. And we'll talk a little bit about tradition or traditional people like the Pope in just a little bit. But good to have you along with us tonight. It's also good to have Jason, who uh, handled the uh, second half of the show last week like a champ. We started it off controversial, Jason, and then I just left you with it all in your lap. From what I understand, we gained listening, listening, listenership. So, I mean, we well, gained it, in our yeah, ratings. Our listening audience always grows when you, you know, take some time off from the radio broadcast, but that's just part of the, uh, oh, you know, thanks. part of the element of it. But, yeah, I had a great show after you left, after you ditched me after the first half of the show. But, uh, yeah. you know, I had okay. to go pick up my mother-in-law. <laughs> that is the worst. I had a good experience and, and, I've heard in my life. We've well, listen, heard it, all your mother-in-law jokes. And it gets worse than that, man. It gets worse than that. I go down to pick up my mother-in-law at the airport. This is a true story, folks. I'm not making this up. So I bail on you for the second half of the broadcast, rush down uh, into the middle of a huge storm, okay? I pick up my mother-in-law at the airport. I'm driving back, and my transmission blows. True story, man. I'm not joking. Stay for the radio. (laughs) And left my mother-in-law down there. (laughs) Yeah, at least you'd have a transmission. (laughs) I don't know. I think it would have gone anyways, but I'm definitely going to blame it on my mother-in-law. It is my obligation to blame hey, it. It's April this hour. Point. Anything goes. That's all right. right. Oh, oh, I let the cat out of the bag. There you go. <laughs> better You better let him know. Better let him know. Go ahead. All right. But, but before we get to that, first of all, you can uh, email Pastor Anthony at pay, pay, excuse me, pastor at net, or you can send him a letter. How long has it been since you've gotten a letter from a real-life person not asking for money? The only ones that send me letters are your kids now. I mean, it's... Do they ask you for money? Yes. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> We're poor missionary kids. Our dad's a missionary in Indiana. Can you please send us some money? Uh, anyway, you can write You can write Pastor Anthony a letter and ask him for money, just like everybody else does, at 303 West Main Street, Payson, Arizona, 85541. And uh, Or you can give them a call. I'm going to go ahead and give the church number, if that's okay with you, because we've Do given it. it for about 10 years now. So yep. it's uh, area code 928-474-3530 if you want to get a hold of Pastor Anthony at the church. And also you can email me at refreshedaz at hotmail.com, or you can go to the lordshipchurches.info website. You can uh, drop me a note there on the comments. I'll get it, and I'll get around to answering you sometime within hopefully by the end of the year. But uh, that's lordshipchurches.info. I am the research director, I think, of the Ecclesiastical Law Center, and uh, you're the pastor of of the only megachurch in Payson, Arizona. This is bound to be a good show with that kind of combination. Oh, yeah. Okay, let me qualify that. I am the pastor of the only King James Bible-believing independent Baptist Mega church in our town. <laughs> so, I just want to make sure go. you included that small detail on that. But no, uh, send us a letter, folks, or call Pastor Anthony, one of the only people on radio that is brave enough to give out his phone number that you can just give yeah. him a call direct there if you got any questions or if you want to send him money. He always appreciates that. Sure. You're welcome for that, my friend. And uh, But it is. 
It is. Tonight is. Oh, wait, before we get to that, got the announcement. Um, West Coast ELC meetings at, in Tualatin, Oregon. Those are coming up October 15th. Just contact me if you want some of the info on that. Also, they the info is on the header of the lordshipchurches.info website. All right. Now, hey, why don't you introduce what this special evening is, Pastor? All right. Well, um, since we were talking about my mother-in-law, it's, just, it's natural that we should just go right into announcing it is the third Monday of the month, and it is Hatefulness Hour. Not that I hate my mother-in-law, but uh, it is Hatefulness Hour, folks. 1-800-932-1980 is the call number. Frank, if you've got the hateful theme, go ahead and play it. Are you tired of corruption in government? I hate police officers who will stand out there on the street and give First Amendment protection to a bunch of sodomites and at the same time jackboot Christians right in the face. Do little old ladies driving slow in the fast lane make you crazy? Do people just plain confuse you? I I don't know where to start. I hate people that hate others. The stuff that I deal with on a regular basis, you guys would pee your pants. I'd pee my pants. Are the little things of life getting you down? What I hate is when you got a cup of hot cocoa and you leave it sit for like 10 minutes and it forms that like skin over the top. Oh, And you can't man. quite drink it and you can't quite eat it. So you kind of like have to pick it up with your fingers and chuck it down the sink. Well... Get used to it. I hate when you have a problem with something or someone, and they tell you you just need to get over it. The Contenders for the Faith, which the American Voice Radio is pleased to offer you the prescription to this world's lunacy. And now it's time for the Hatefulness Hour. It's fun. I'm calling from Walmart, and... And I just called to say I hate people that call in from Walmart and don't tell everybody what the specials are. It's revealing. What I realize, there's so much more to this than you've been told. So much more. So what yeah, so hate. explain the aliens to me that I've seen probably 30, 40 times. How do I know you weren't smoking something when you saw that? It's your opportunity to vent your spleen. I am sick to death of Uncle Buck. I am sick to death of people who try to force their own opinion on someone else and tell them that they are not a Christian when they do believe the Bible and don't believe what a fruitcake says about free people in Canada. Thank you. Dial 1-800-433-1429 and tell us what you hate. Yeah. But don't dial that number, folks. Don't dial that. 1-800-932-1980. 1-800-932-1980. We've been playing that hateful theme for years and years. That's and, right. That uh, was like five numbers ago, wasn't it, or something I, I like know. that? <laughs> oh, I come on, I 88. Yeah. Hey, I hate it when guys come into the chat room and say they never call radio shows. Yeah, I think that bothers the fire out of me. I hate that. I hate that. Give us a call, one 800 Nine three two one nine eight zero, and literally, it is a free for all tonight. We'll talk about whatever you want. You call it in. You hate it. You you just go ahead and you say it on the air, and we won't ridicule you that much. We won't. We, we're not going to argue with you, um, Jason. We, we we don't even debate with people when they call in. They say they you know they hate something that uh, they shouldn't hate. Uh, we we don't pick on them too much, right? No, it's absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we just kind of push it through. We're just reporters. We want you to be able to vent your spleen. We want to save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars that you would otherwise pay to your psychiatrist yeah. or your uh, healthcare, uh, mental health care professional. And by laying on our virtual couch, 
giving us a call at 1-800-932-1980 or jumping into that chat room at theamericanvoice.com and venting your spleen. You don't have to hold back that thing that's been bothering you anymore. This is the outlet for that. So with that in mind, we have a couple of hates coming through already and a question, actually. Uh, Frank says, I hate tired, old, worn-out date themes. Me too. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of why we play it on Hatefulness Hour now, right. uh, this many years in. But uh, yeah, LP, People on edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, we're getting people ready for it. Does the host hate my cousin? I don't. Um, well, I, I okay. Don't know who LT's cousin is. He exactly. just he just he just posted though that his cousin is hunting elk and deer in Arizona, uh, so you know I don't like that. That's not fair. I mean, because I've been putting in for years and I can't draw elk out here. That's what I was um, thinking all the time that I yeah. was out in Arizona. I, I uh-huh. mean, I don't know how many bonus points I left with, but I never got drawn for elk either. Mm-hmm. It's rough, that? man. Conspiracy. I hate that. I hate that. Me too. <laughs> All right, let's see. Andrew hates liberals, Obama, and Governor Malloy, yuppies, and Yankee fans. You know what? I can go with that. I, I don't like the Yankees, you know, so and, – and the fans, well, they can't help it. I don't know what else to say about them, but uh, stuff hate. Here, LT hates the Tommy Cat. I, I don't know what that is. Oh, I guess he has a Tommy Cat that showed up. Folks, this is how it's done. Get in the chat room. Tell us what you hate or give us a call, and we'll go ahead and read it over the air. And, and we're going to put your name on it, or whatever secret identity you put on the chat room. Uh, we'll put your name on it. Here, here's something. I mean, since we're on hate, Jason, let's talk a little bit about the Pope. Uh, the Bible says, uh, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Uh, David said, I hate the workers of iniquity with a perfect hatred. And uh, so I, I would put the Pope, Pope Francis, uh, or as you um, fondly call him, Pope Frank. Yes, but not our Frank. I don't want to make yeah. our Frank mad. It's, but uh, no. you know what? We ought to have a nickname for the guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know what? I hate the fact that people think he deserves some sort of respect. All right? This guy is a worker of iniquity, guys. He's a I don't dude care. in a dress who's a Jesuit. and you Demanding and to be called Papa. Yeah, good, good night. Kiss his stinking ring or his toe or whatever you do. Yeah. I mean, good. Seriously? The world in today's day and age with uh, takes this guy seriously? Well, you know what? He must have power. That's all i got to say. In fact, he's got spiritual power behind him, and it's wicked. Yeah, it's wicked. a, it's, it's a uh, spiritual darkness, or I think Ephesians talks about it in Ephesians chapter 6. These are the things we wrestle against. Uh, now, the Pope is nothing we would want to wrestle against. For one thing, he probably wouldn't be able to stand, it, stand up to it, but um, physically that is. But he is the quote-unquote puppet head of a political regime. It's not, uh, he's not part of a church. Uh, we, don't even, we don't call it a church that's gone into apostasy. The Roman Catholic Church, as they call it, has never, ever at any time been a church. All right. And uh, I do believe that based on scriptures, Jason, that he does, uh, or at least the head of this institute, will play out somewhere in uh, prophecy or end times prophecy, because uh, he's in the right place. All right. Um, 
Uh, he's in a perfect spot. He, he the the church there has always matched the same colors and teachings and paganism of Babylon, and it just makes perfect sense to me. Our forefathers, Jason, and many many reformers as well, have always held the belief that uh, the Pope is an antichrist and will somehow be alongside of the antichrist in the end times. And so when we see the Pope moving, Jason, not to give him too much credit, but when we see him moving about across the planet. Um, there's some significance to it. When he comes into our country, there is some significance. I, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily know all the um, all the reasons why or what what's being done behind the scenes as to why he's here. But we know it is significant that he is here. We'd rather him not be here. Do us all a favor and uh, just stay in Rome. All right. Uh, appreciate the verse LT brought up. Matthew 23, verse 9, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. And, uh, I mean, this is probably the clearest teaching of Scripture to go against the Roman Catholic Church for all their priests demand to be called Papa. I don't know, maybe they're just, you know, they're trying to, uh, uh, they maybe have an inferiority complex because they got to walk around looking like Mama all the time. But, uh, and the fact that uh, it's not uncommon to see a lot of sodomy in these groups, too. Well, you look at Jude and verse 4 when it starts talking about the false teachers there. It describes what a person like that is. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Look at uh, what the popes surround themselves with yep. with regard to uh, worldly um, goods and this, these fantastic buildings and all of these riches and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how in the world do they do that? By saying that he is the vicar of Christ, that he is standing in Christ's place. He is Christ's sole representative to this world, and therefore that's why they bow to the Pope. That's why all of these things happen. They're filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And uh, you know what? This is uh, this is just another sign of the end times. Always has he always has been, whatever Pope it is, he or she, because there was a female one once, have always been <laughs> um, have always been in the seat of Antichrist. Yeah, yeah. They always they always have been Antichrists, and. Uh, and the fact is that one day I believe, according to what Scripture says, that the Antichrist who is mentioned, who will come and who will deceive um, even the very elect if it were possible, that he is going to be uh, either related to the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope himself. But sure. nobody can say they have a perfect grasp on everything that's going to happen from here on out. But you certainly can see these things being fulfilled in Scripture very easily. Oh, yeah. It's too coincidental, if you ask me. I mean, and here's another thing. First Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, I'm going to say this right now. I am not suggesting at all that the Roman Catholic Church has departed from the faith. They never had the faith, guys. They didn't come from the apostles. Uh, there's no apostolic succession there. The Pope isn't tra can't trace his roots back to Peter. He can trace it to Constantine, who was just a good politician. But it said in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. That's believers, Jason. Uh, those yep. that at least know Christ or had some semblance of the truth, and they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, which we're seeing it now. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
And if that's not Rome, I don't know what is. Just do a study of the Waldensians. Do this. Do a study of the Albigensians and the uh, the Huguenots and so on and so forth. Then look at verse three, forbidding to marry, yeah. and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath received, uh, cre- uh, created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe it and know the truth. Yeah, I mean, every well, Friday, right? I mean, yeah, not and and they forbid the priests to marry. <laughs> exactly. Is it, how much more obvious can you get? Well, and, and, and the worst part about it is that when you look at the seven sacraments, which the Roman Catholic Church officially teaches are an evidence, if you follow or if you fulfill the seven sacraments, is an evidence of salvation in your life. One of them is the sacrament of holy matrimony. The other is the sacrament of holy orders. Right. I mean, they literally set it up where you can't even truly know 100% that heaven is your home. And Listen, if the church, if this church in particular, uh, wanted to really portray themselves as a true church, why in the world would they set doctrines that would align itself with something that is clearly taught against? I mean, if you're, if you're going to be a priest or you're going to be a nun, you're, you're going to claim to be married to Christ as a nun, and you're going to live a celibate life, and the pope as well, and the priest as well. That's nowhere in Scripture. The apostles were married, for crying out loud, with the exception of the apostle Paul. And there's nothing the apostle Paul that ta- taught that the Roman Catholic Church could even slightly claim. But uh, and, and here's the thing, Jason, forbidding to marry has created a, um, a plethora of... Uh, sodomy and uh, immorality cases within this organization. And Jason, well, of course, the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn. Yes, absolutely. And here's the thing: you just do a cursory study online, and we don't trust everything that the internet has to say. But guys, when you can go on Wikipedia and they can list it by the hundreds, I mean, it's it's out there. They they don't even hide it. The sodomy cases. Uh, and the homosexuality within this institution. And I know guys that were priests and are queer, all right? And they, they make no bones about it. They say, well, we were, we were gay when we went in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just we decided we're out because they didn't want us to marry our partners. <laughs> one, one thing's for sure about the Roman Catholic Church, and that's that they don't have a grasp of what the gospel is. I was able to talk to a uh, a Roman Catholic priest. His name was uh, Tom, and I stood. It was actually what do they call the the building that they live in? That's right next to the church building of uh, Roman Catholics. Um, anyway, it's what, yeah. whatever wherever they stay. And uh, I just went up the and rectory the door. Rectory, yes. Knocked yeah. on the door. Um, had a gospel tract and a uh, and a John and Romans in my hand, and I talked to the guy about uh, about Christ. He was the head priest over the eight or ten churches that were in his area. I, I'm using churches not in the biblical yes. sense, but in Roman Catholic uh, parishes or whatever. And um, and when I asked him this question, when I, I looked at him in the face and I said, Tom, I said, what are you going to do when you stand before God and God asks you why he should let you into heaven even though you're a sinner? He did not have an answer for me. He didn't know how to answer. He had he turned bright red, sure, because he was embarrassed because he didn't have an answer for that, and realized that if he was to stand before God that very day, he would not have an excuse for mm-hmm. his sin that he would stand before Christ. So I gave him the gospel at that time. He didn't get saved at that time, um, unfortunately, but you could tell that he realized, 
oh, this whole thing that I've done, I, he's high up in the church. I mean, he's got churches under his his uh, bishopric or whatever it is, however they're arranged. But he did not even realize himself being a leader of probably of definitely thousands of people. Didn't realize himself how to get to heaven, and that's yeah. the sad part right there. And so you know, it's a it's a it's a ripe. Uh, mission field for us as far as that's concerned, but the Roman Catholics have organized the system to keep the truth out and away from the people that are members of that. Yeah, absolutely. Which to me should uh, it should anger the people that they had set up their religion so it's so organized that you really can't know. And if you read the, uh, uh, the first Vatican Council, uh, or Council of Trent, excuse me, uh, what they set in order as far as anyone who believes in justification by faith as a means to getting to heaven is anathema. That means cursed and damned as a heretic. That's not changed even to this day, Jason. To me, that should anger the people that they would be withheld from the truth. Now, here's what gets me. First uh, Timothy 4 reveals that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith. And I'm seeing more and more Baptists, Jason, those that claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, get angered over the exposure of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, we just lost a family over this, a family that we had known for eight years. They've been a part of our church for eight years, Jason. And literally, they, they were angered at the fact that we didn't call Rome Christian. And, and they said, well, they, there are many good saved Roman Catholics, to which I'd have to ask, if you are saved, then you've got to come out from among them. I mean, that's found not only in the book of Revelation, dealing with Mystery Babylon, but it's also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's found throughout the scriptures. You're a new man. Why would you go back to a place that's teaching heresy? And they've been doing it for thousands of years. There's no way we're changing it now. Um, how about uh, Martin Luther? Martin Luther, uh, for all of his faults, Jason, he was a very influential man, created another church. But he couldn't, he couldn't reform the Catholic Church. He couldn't stop it, and this guy had power. I mean, he could literally thumb his nose at the Pope, and the Pope couldn't burn him. And the Pope they, had the ability to burn them all, and he couldn't oh do yeah, it. He couldn't they, kill they, them. They tried to. They absolutely chased him and tried to snuff his life out because of one thing. Because he dared stand up to the juggernaut that was the Roman Catholic organization. Yeah. He said that you could only be saved by faith in God alone, apart from you know, any kind of church organization. And that was such a threat to them that they wanted yep. to kill him and all of his followers. We have to remember, this is still the same organization. It's just yep. they behave in a different way when they don't have a whole lot of political uh, and actual force that they can enact upon others. But it's the same organization. They haven't changed the Council of Trent. No. They, they haven't become the newer, friendlier uh, Roman Catholic organization. No, what they've done is they have decided that they had better fly under the radar screen for a while unless they get into power again. And you hear stories coming out of places like South America where they actually do, by force, um, go against people in certain areas when they don't think it's going to get it, make it out into the press. And they, they have a political influence over entire countries in South America. We forget that yep. when we're think, talking about this um, organization. 
and I have seen it firsthand. Uh, going down to Mexico, I've talked to preachers that have gone through this kind of persecution. Here it is, Council of Trent, 1545-1563. These declarations have not changed. It says this, If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy, which remits sins for Christ's sake, or that it is this confidence alone that justifies us, let him be anathema. That's the sixth session, Canons Concerning Justification, Canon 12. Here's the next one, Canon 24. If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. Yeah, which means accursed, which means yep. you are accursed of God, according to them. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you must put your faith and trust in him, and then you will be able to uh, be in the presence of God forever. They find that anathema. Yeah. Now, who else finds that anathema? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about that, and we've got more coming with this hatefulness hour. Hey, if you are looking for good radio, you stepped right into the middle of it. This is the most exciting hour on radio. It's hatefulness hour, folks. Jump into that chat room at theamericanvoice.com with Frank, me, LT, Andrew, Spudman, Mighty Midget One, Wayne Main, Italiano Two, KJV Antioch J, Uncle Nick, Irish 88, and the Watchmen. Appreciate everybody in there. Just wanted to give a shout out. Hey, stay tuned through the break. Get your hates ready for the second half of the broadcast. Traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. 
there is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one four. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Theories for life that is fed But give me the scriptures I won't seem to 
right, welcome back to the second half of the broadcast, folks. You have stepped right into the middle of the Contenders for the Faith Hatefulness Hour. I am Jason Burton, and I am from Union City, Indiana. And, of course, in the other corner, uh, sitting in his luxurious office, flanked mm-hmm. by the Cedars of Lebanon with the Library of Alexandria stretched mm-hmm. out behind mm-hmm. his desk, is the pastor of the only mega church. The only independent fundamental Baptist megachurch in Payson, Arizona. It's Pastor Anthony Garissi in the big squeaky chair. All right. So we're back, and I yeah. tried to interrupt the music, but it didn't happen. I hate when that happens. <laughs> it's hateful in the tower. you gotta, you got to let Frank know that you're going to interrupt the music. Otherwise. I always, well, no. Anymore, I let it play all the way through. So I actually faked him out. It used to be I would interrupt it every single time. But uh, oh, oh. the problem was he... He we didn't know because anyway. Yeah, that's right. He didn't know because he was talking to me. He gets between the shows. He tries to give me pep talks like "you stink" and yeah. uh, stuff like yeah. that. And I, I, no. I, I could take really. He, no, <laughs> for for ten years, man. For ten years between every show, I just want to. I want to let you know that that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> uh, what stink? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I I can't yeah, use all the words he yeah. said. He the words he said he's trying to get me to say on the air, and I can't say that. So, you okay. know. Well, yeah. I tell you what, folks, this is Hatefulness Hour. We've got the chat room rolling right now. It, in fact, we got everybody talking. It's great. It's a wonderful thing. If you're not in the chat room, get in the chat room with Frank, Jason B, L. Hey, Jason B is me, by the way. L. T. Yep. Andrew, Spudman, Mighty Midget One. Good to see Mighty Midget back. Wayne Maine. Mm. Italiano 2, that's you, KJV Antioch J, Uncle Nick, Irish 88, The Watchman, and Tree Farmer. And right now we got an excellent discussion going on about the Seventh-day Adventist. By the way, Ben Carson is Seventh-day Adventist. Huh. Ah, wow. Jump, jump in the chat room and uh, keep it rolling, folks. But it is Hatefulness Hour. Here's the call-in number. It's 1-800-932-1980. Give us a call and tell us what you hate because you don't want to keep that on your chest anymore. Hey, it's no, a absolutely not. Pastor. That's exactly right. It is a public service. So, um, <clears throat> the reason why we brought up the Pope, folks, is because obviously the Pope's come to our country. He's been in Cuba, um, been in time with Fidel Castro, which, by the way, is nothing new. There's nothing new seeing Roman Catholicism hand in hand with communists. And I think if you look back into their history, you'll see. Communism is nothing but a baby of the Roman Catholic Church, amongst many other horrific things uh, that our society has to deal with, even to this day. Um, the uh, uh, the Pope was wrong. Uh, Chris Christie, apparently in the news today, he uh, has uh, called out the Pope. I'm surprised that Chris Christie stands for anything, and I guess this is probably the boldest move he's ever made. Being a Roman Catholic, he stated that he thought the Pope was wrong uh, in his social positions and uh, um, uh, siding with Cuba, or at least praising Cuba, um, which I I don't know what Cuba has to offer. Honestly, I know missionaries that have gone over there, Jason, and it's a dump. It's a dump. Our own country knows better than to have any kind of relations with this uh, communist country, which is, what, 90 miles off of our coast. And then uh, Paul Gosar, Republican congressman from our illustrious state, he has announced that he is going to boycott Pope Francis, um, uh, which that's a rather bold move, too, because he is also a Roman Catholic. 
And uh, both of them said the exact same thing. We believe that he is infallible on religious matters, which the Roman Catholic Church does claim, uh, but just not on political ones, which I believe the Roman Catholic Church believes that he is infallible in just about everything he does. This particular pope, Jason, is um, very uh, very political. He is an activist, and he is a socialist. I would call him a communist, actually, uh, which is true to form for any Roman Catholic. If you look at Roman Catholic countries, uh, for the most part, they're very socialistic and communist. You have a very rich, and you have a very poor, and that's how you control the people. You know, well, use your religion. You know, socialism and communism are very similar to what Roman Catholicism does when it comes into a country. Um, historically speaking, anyway, what you end up is you end up with an elite that have all of the money and all of the power, and they use the people of that country as slaves in order to get them more money and more power. That's right. And yep. so that's uh, I mean, it, it, communism is at least in its application is exactly like what the Roman Catholic Church has done for millennia now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it's um, it's a shame, but uh, you would think that this nation, which uh, in its inception would not allow uh, Roman Catholicism to have anything to do with it, hence the reason why we experience such liberty to this day. Uh, All right, Pastor, we've got a yeah. caller. So, caller, right. if you give us your name, where you're calling from, and what you hate. Good afternoon. This is Jay from Washington. Otherwise known as Irish 88 in the chat room. All right, Irish. You guys didn't know that. <laughs> that is me. Fantastic. Uh, all right. We'll I actually have. I actually. I, that's a, well, that's, hey, it's okay. It's tape on this hour, so just let it happen. I can take it. I have I have a couple two, three hates now that I've been thinking about it. One of them's kind of benign, it's kind of general. I hate that when I try and pass somebody in my truck at night, that they speed up and won't let me pass them. I hate that. Yeah. Now, what is let y'all up know with that? that? Mm-hmm. I'm ser- seriously, well, man. Here's what's up with it. Here's what's up with it. They, especially when it's raining, they they don't want you to pass them because of all the spray. Yeah. Uh, at least when it's raining. When it's not raining, I think that they're just, for the most part, I think that they're just they're kind of morons in the first place, and they realize they were going too slow. And then they'll they'll speed up, but just enough they'll speed, just enough. But it's very obvious that they speed up, and and then so you'll have to move over, and then I'll have to go. You know, my truck's only governed at sixty three miles an hour. Yeah, so I got to get back out in the left lane, try mm-hmm. pass, and I kind of just get the nose of my cab up, and then they speed up again. That happens, and it just happens. I'm used to it. Been driving truck for thirty years. I hate it. This is one you know what? No, you know what? I I, I gotta say, I would hate that too. But I might have been guilty of that from time to time. I don't, I, you know, this is a confession. He uh, might have been because, you know what, been. I've ridden with him before. He may very well have been, <laughs> he may have very well been one of the guys, the actual ones. No, but hey, that's a little Well, hey, I won't I say have, that I've ever, I'm sorry, I won't say that I've ever intentionally put somebody into the ditch. I won't say <laughs> that I've ever done that. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but no, I really do. I really do hate that. That is, uh, it's very annoying. It's rude. It's, uh, it's everything, and you just shouldn't do it. So, yeah. if you're out there next to a truck and a truck's trying to pass you and you're going too slow, man, just let the truck pass. It's yeah. really okay. It's, see, it's okay. Nothing bad is going to happen. See, see, here's the thing, though. I, by doing this, I might have helped you develop this hate to which you have called on our show. So, I, I say I'm sorry and. 
Also, you're welcome. It's, okay. It's very possible because I've driven in both Arizona and Indiana, in Michigan and everywhere else. Oh, trail. dear. Oh, dear, so, yes. I've been everywhere. Uh, the other guy, the guy in Indiana okay. wasn't me, really. <laughs> Whatever. Come on. And my, Own up to my it, man. Second hate, my, my second hate is, is probably maybe my first one. I hate when, when there are call-in shows and people yeah. don't call in. That's I hate that. Right. That's a good one. I hate that. So I thought, yeah. you know, I would just call in, and, and I, I mentioned it to Frank. I said, "Do you think I should?" Yeah. So I just thought it through. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot or or anything like no. that. But you guys really do go out of your way, and you put a good show on, and and you ask for people to call in. And they go, what's, "What's up, man? Come on, guys." So I hate that. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm calling. That's great. Other than that, uh, yeah. Other than that, I can't really. I thought I had three, but that uh, just two's good, I guess. Well, guess kind of just leave it at that, I guess. But yeah, okay, great. You sound relieved, Dave. Yeah, thanks for calling. He feels better now. <laughs> See, well, I called into uh, Al's show last week, and Frank said I maybe should have reserved that call for this one because I was pretty heated <laughs> during that call. Uh, Love it, and I was, but you know, but. But there are a lot of things that I hate, and, you know, that just what they were talking about at the moment. I'm sorry. it was. I'm not saying it was more robust or something like that, but, boy, it just really struck a nerve with me. I think that yeah. most people that were listening will attest that I was pretty hot. So Good. Yeah. Good. Well, next time, so anyway, save, it, guys, save it for our yeah. show. <laughs> save it for our show. That's All perfect. Right. All right. I, All can, right. I, can, I, can, I can work on that. So, uh, anyway, well, you guys have a great show, and you thanks too. for talking to you. Yeah, hey, glad to be of service. Man, hey, you know what? I'm sorry? I, I said glad to be of service. <laughs> oh, good to get oh, that okay. off your chest. I thought now, now see, you just you just maybe got my nerve there. I thought you were going to say thank me, like thank me for my service, because I was in the service. And, and oh. now, if you want to ask about something that I hate, <laughs> I hate when people do that. Okay. Yeah. I have people, and they don't even ask me anymore, because I tell them, don't thank me for my service. I didn't do it for you. Yeah. Okay, I didn't do it for you. If you think it was such a a, a good and, and and noble thing, why don't you march yourself down to the recruiter's office and go join yourself? Other than that, don't thank me for my service. I don't want to hear it. Hey. So that okay. does that does uh, anger me. Yeah, we we you, there's your third hate. There you go. You were thinking there of a third go. hate. It came. So there's the no. trifecta. That's it. I wasn't thanking you for your service. I was saying glad to be of service. Give you an opportunity to vent your spleen as my co-host. Uh, there you go, Jay. So Well, thank you, guys. Ha- yeah, have a, have a good day. Good evening. Take care. Okay. Oh, there you Man, go. Man, if it, if it wasn't hateful this hour, I would have said, you know, that's a great call. But since it's hateful this hour, I'm not going to. Anyway, folks, that's how it's done. That was old school. Hey, yeah. the call-in number is 1-800-932-1980. That's 1-800-932-1980, or jump into that chat room. That's, it's run-of-the-mill for us to get a call like that. That's the way it's supposed to be. And, and just in case you're wondering whether Irish is a, uh, is a hateful person, he's not. It's, it's, as far as I'm concerned, that's a godly trait to have hate. Um, and I know that goes against the society that we live in, Jason, but that's, since when has the society ever been right? And uh, the Bible teaches if you love the Lord, you're going to hate something, okay? You're going to hate something. And I also appreciate what Jay said about, uh, he, he, well, actually, he was trying to be kind. He said he didn't want to push anybody, you know, to call in on the show, but uh, put him on the spot. But I say, put him on the spot. It's hatefulness hour. 
That's the way it's supposed to be. So if you didn't like being put on the spot, listeners out there, and you hate that, that's what we're trying to do. Get you to hate something and give us a call. I, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, yeah, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's right. Call-in number is 1-800-932-1980, 1-800-932-1980. We've got LT expressing some hate in the chat room right now. He says, I hate that when you talk to the JWs and found out to be a person of faith, they become like attack dogs and visit you over and over and over and over and over. There's a way to keep them from doing that. Yeah. You know, um, out, you know move. <laughs> I, 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 th- I thought you were going to say like jump out and bite them, you know. No, no, no. Never come yeah. back. You can, you know. I, I, I don't know. Just don't let them in. Whatever you do, because that's what the Bible says in in the Book that's of right. Jude. That's right. Do not even bid them Godspeed. You know, my mother, um, of all things, uh, she was good at keeping the JWs from coming back. I mean, that was. Would she get done with them? You'd never see them again. I mean, it was. I mean, it, every neighborhood we'd move to, we'd get at least one visit. And I mean, she'd start in. My mom can is not allowed to preach at a pulpit, all right? Because she <laughs> is my mom. But man, get she will doorstop, find huh? a pulpit. And I remember the the last time we had JWs come, there was a little child with them, and you know, um, they're trying to make us feel sorry for them and all that. My mom comes to the door, and I mean, she just starts to let them have it. Next, you know, she gets all charismatic, man. She's she's got her hand in the air, and she's going, "I'll tell you right now, if you don't get saved, you'll go straight to hell, and you're leading that little girl straight to hell. She's gonna burn." I was going. Go get a mom. Well, we know where you get them from now, Pastor. Yeah, that and and honestly, man, that was it. They never came back. They never came back. So, uh, LT, that, that, that there's some good tips there. Um, jump up and down, start hollering, say hallelujah every once in a while, and then tell them they're going to burn like a sausage on a frying pan. And um, they might not come back. Tell I'll them to listen to this show. <laughs> oh, there we go. They might yeah. actually learn something. I mean, we could come up with all sorts of tips, right, if JWs come to your door. Um, mm-hmm. Have to have your Doberman Pinscher ready. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we used to get a lot more visits out in Arizona than we get out here in Indiana. I think everybody out here, what what the deal is with Arizona, everybody was so energetic that moved out to Arizona. You had to be or you died on the way, right? Yeah. And yeah. When you get out there and people are just really enthusiastic about stuff. Out here, the JWs are like sitting on the street corner, like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" Everybody's so laid back here. We don't get people knocking on our door. I I actually used to like the Mormons coming to the door out in Arizona because I was able to talk to them and give them the gospel on my doorstep. And that Amen. was great. That was like going door knocking, except it's my door. <laughs> well, and love- most. The the difference between JWs and Mormons is the Mormons uh, they're trained to give you the time of day and and a lot of them are very sincere and so yeah, I've seen some Mormons broken to tears man broken to tears when you start going through the scriptures with them because they really do want the truth they're kind of like Cornelius in Acts chapter ten where they're looking for the truth and uh, listen uh, if a Roman Catholic is looking for the truth God's going to give it to them. You're going to get it. If you truly want to search, because I know there's good Roman Catholics out there that are fervently trying to find the truth. God's going to give it to them. Now, whether they can leave their religion or not, that's going to be another story. And they'll be conflicted. But you give them that gospel, man. You tell them they're free from the law and free from works. And that, that doctrine of grace, which has been hijacked by the 
stinking liberals today, Jason, that doctrine where, you know, you have the grace to sin. But the doctrine of grace is, is mercy and favor in spite of the sin. You know, and you start giving it to these guys, it's like if they truly want it, they'll be getting a cup of cold, fresh cold water, man. Just, it's, it's, it's nothing like it, being liberated from the works salvation and the control, i.e. the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, that's something that you can find with any cult that you take a look at. And it's the central control. They have to be able to control their people. Here's a, the watchman gives a, uh, a tip for dealing with JWs at your door. Pull out a stars and stripes and say we can talk if you can say the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I went to uh, public school, and I sat side by side with a uh, Jehovah's Witness for the whole year. And that kid never stood up for the Pledge of Allegiance, not ever. And, uh, and then when Halloween came, he thought I was Jehovah's Witness because I wouldn't celebrate the holiday. And they thought, well, you must, you must be JW. But, I, you know, obviously I've fooled him. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's a good one, Watchman. That's a good one. All right, 1-800-932-1980. 1-800-932-1980. We've got time. Folks, give us a call. Uh, if you've got something that you hate, Pour it on. We'll take it. Get on our virtual couch and just just, just get it off your chest. You'll feel better. I mean, Irish 88, he feels, Jay, he feels better now. I mean, he's, he's going to go through the day. He won't kick his dog. Uh, the JWs might have half a chance, you know. The, um, not, so there you go, folks. 1-800-932. There's my dog. I'm about to kick my dog. I was going to say, I was door. wondering if I was just hearing that or if it was actually going on. Started <laughs> talking perfect about timing dogs, right there. Is barking. That's right. <laughs> Probably barking at the JWs that are knocking on your front door. But, uh, folks, we've got a few minutes left. Give us a call, 1-800-932-1980. Yep. Well, Jason, Chris Christie, okay, he's never stood for anything. But both Chris Christie and Gosar are making some pretty bold stands. I, I think in the society that we're in right now, I think it's... I think it's fairly insignificant. Nobody really cares. I mean, it seems bold being Roman Catholics, but to stand against this pope or to even boycott it for political reasons, I don't think that really means anything this day. I'd like to see somebody like, uh, who's that Irish guy that uh, denounced the pope at Parliament to be Oh, Ian Paisley, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You are the Antichrist. Yes. He uh, got up, and that was in the 1980s when the pope addressed the European Union. Um, Ian Paisley got up and he denounced him as the Antichrist and declared that God's judgment was upon him. And, of course, Ian Paisley got tackled by the uh, security that was there and dragged out of the European Parliament. Mr. Paisley, have a seat, or whatever they said in there. <laughs> that was it's a classic, great, though. It is. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to listen to. And uh, Ian Paisley, he was political on a lot of things. But you yep. know what? Is With regards to the gospel... And with regards to a stand against Rome, he was dead on straight. Um, yes, I think he was. he was. He's too Calvinistic for my uh, view, but he did believe in uh, being saved uh, by faith through grace, or by grace through faith. And so, um, you know, Ian Paisley, that was great. And we should stand up against wickedness in high places like that. Um, Absolutely. That was wonderful. Absolutely. Well, it's, um, to me, that's gonna, that'll bring the blessings of God. I think. I mean, because there are times when that needs to be done. 
there needs to be a uh, an address of this man's uh, criminal activities, and and not only just his criminal activities, but um, the fact that he's deceiving so many, leading them straight to to hell, convincing. I mean, when this pope begins to walk amongst the crowd, they swoon. No Bible believing Christian, no Bible believing Christian would ever allow such a thing where people will kiss their hand or people will mob them or just to be touched by them. No Bible-believing Baptist would have would, would, would be 100 miles within that stuff. Well, did you hear that Pope Francis performed a miracle uh, just a few uh, couple of weeks ago? There's apparently some dried-up blood that they keep in a vase from some saint from the 300s or something like that. Yes, yes, and, yes. And when he kissed it, it turned to liquid. Now, of course, nobody saw this, but, you know, it was reported reliably by the bishop of the area that yeah. he had performed this miracle. So they're already uh, starting to build up his resume for sainthood, aren't they? Oh, sure they are. And that's another ridiculous. Gap. Yeah. yeah the, what a ridiculous religion, in all honesty. They are, it, it, they are as Christian uh, as a JW or as a Mormon. In other yeah. words, they're not. Nope, absolutely not. By the way, Ian Paisley, uh, he's gone home to glory. And uh, for those of you who are trying to look him up online, he is pa- he's since passed. He's in heaven. And um, we just, we, we're not giving him the glory. We're just, we appreciate somebody that's got a little backbone. You know, I believe Martin Luther, Jason, I'm not talking about Martin Luther King either. Uh, Martin Luther, he had a lot of doctrinal problems, but the guy had some grit. He had some backbone. And we need some ministers of God with backbone that are willing to stand up and tell the truth. You're never going to be popular if you do. And nobody's going to follow your shadow. That's why I get a little nervous about these pastors that rise up through the ranks and, and people think that they're trying to get all the attention. People think that uh, they died and, you know, rose again. Uh, guys, that is not our calling. We are not to be in the limelight. This may be the church age, but guys, it's still about Jesus Christ. It always has been. We're on the air. Not so we can make a name for ourselves. Oh, Jason Burton and Pastor... No, we are on the air just to get the truth out. That's it. We're not here for the money. We're not here for the notoriety. We just want to get the truth out, encourage your hearts, tell you to stick by the faith, love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your hearts. All right, coming up next with New World Order Info, Melissa Roxanne, you don't want to miss it. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.